Okay, everybody, here we are. Uh, episode 44 of Shug Me the Mooney. Uh, I'm here with Shug. How you feeling, Shug? I'm good, man. I just watched um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And us, we're the Dollar General, very, very poor, man, discount version of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. No spoilers. I saw your tweets. I was like, no spoilers, man, because I actually might watch this. Um, but yeah, so here we are. It's uh, almost, you know, we're at the we're at the the peak. Um, the winter, no, this. Uh, what do you call it? Well, the spring. Half, yeah, the you know spring, but like the you know the fifty fifty, like the long the half morning, half night, like equal. Oh, we just night. we just sprung forward. There was daylight savings. Yeah. So um, so we're gonna jump into um, episode uh, forty four. I didn't really celebrate this year. Uh, neither did I did last year, but me and Shug are representing for me and him are both Bronx Irish. So uh, all you fellow Bronx Irish people out there, you know, slancha. Rick, it's on like, we're like some kind of like community group. <laughs> yeah, we are, man. We are. We gotta, in all seriousness, um, you know, we, we want to talk about a lot of things. Uh, we have a lot of things on our, uh, on our episode that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the Woody Allen uh, documentary, uh, uh, what, uh, Alan. Well, Woody Allen, well, more so Mia Farrow and Dylan Farrow. Yeah. Documentary that discusses their relationship with Woody Allen. Woody Allen didn't have any part in, into it actually, um, denounces it, but we'll, we'll get into it. We, we actually only have like two topics today because we knew we were going to it's going to be a lot to be talked about and we wanted to get into it. So. Yeah. So Alan, one. yeah. Alan uh, versus uh Pharaoh. Uh, it was a four part series on HBO. Um, I didn't realize it was like four parts. So when it came out, I thought it came out a month ago. I didn't realize it was like a, a four part series. So I watched it all and we're going to, we're going to dive into that. And then also we're going to have, of course, going on for what like two months now uh the bachelor update mm-hmm. with suge yeah and, and, it had, and it had the finale and it had the after the rose um special so i'm going to get into both of those so we're gonna talk about all of that that also is going to be something we talk a bunch on so and this will probably be oh and then next week next week we're gonna do the the full wrap up of this whole experience of the whole season and stuff like that um in next week's episode and then for you people who don't want to hear about the bachelor every week that'll be the last time you have to hear us talking about the bachelor so uh you know my sleep pattern's off i've been waking up at like 2 a.m so i woke up the other day um and i hear like the news in the background and it was uh the cable news like msnbc which i watch uh, i heard um something about a shooting uh and uh you know i just looked over and it was just like the, it was just like it just happened they were like talking about it uh and uh chug you know like you know what we're talking about right yeah yeah so what's yeah, your initial had, um, yeah shooting down in atlanta and it's kind of been like a um like a nationwide thing with a lot of like anti-Asian, um, anti-Asian hate crimes and a lot of um, anti-Asian, um, 
you know, insulting Asian people of Asian descent. Um, yeah, like Jeremy Lin saying that, you know, opposing players were calling him like coronavirus and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, none of that stuff. There's never any like room for that type of, um, you know, those type of things. And we got to crush it. I don't think it helped that the last president, you know, spent a lot of time and anytime he talked about, you know, things that have official names, coronavirus, COVID, he kept on calling it like the China flu or the China virus and kept on calling it um the Wuhan. He called it the Kong flu. Yeah, all of that. So it's it and then you already know how hateful and riled up his base is. Look no further than January sixth of this this year. Like you know, it it really doesn't help. And now that cost like eight people their lives. And it's it's sad, Mike. I don't know if you saw it where like the sheriff um in charge of like the investigation, he said like the guy had like a bad day. And ironically, yeah. that same day, um, unfortunately I went to my brother-in-law's mom's funeral, but I woke up, my neck was right. killing me. Um, I actually was on a highway when we were driving and I had a car that had like a truck with trash in it, like a pickup truck. And they didn't have it like tied down or covered up one of the boxes. And I'm talking about Mike, like one of those heavy boxes that like, you know, like a TV or like a mirror or something flew Mm. and hit the front of our car, flipped up on the um, windshield. Oh man. And we had to pull over and it got stuck under the car. Like we almost could have died. So I had like a really bad day. And like the thought or the idea, like killing somebody other than the freaking person who was driving that pickup truck, it never crossed my mind. So for somebody to say like, oh, like this dude just had had enough. Like, um, well, you know who can't have bad days anymore? Those people are, that he killed. And it's unfortunate that like the lengths that the media goes to to say like oh like this kid this kid you know and that's all the thing too he's you know he's a kid he's 21 years old when all the while like Michael Brown Trayvon Martin Tamir Rice who was freaking 12 years old with a BB gun you know you they always talk about them as like men or mm-hmm. you know young adults or some stuff like that so. It's kind of sad the lengths they go to to like um cover up these extremists. On top of that, the sheriff it was found out like he was sharing a um a shirt that had like the coronavirus on it and it said made in China and he mm. was like sharing the outlets that sold that shirt. Yeah, um, you said a lot of things and then the whole thing about the okay, you had that experience too with uh. That's yeah, that's crazy. I'm sorry that happened. You know, thank God nothing bad happened. Uh, but also like the bad day thing, he must have had bad years or whatever. Because you don't wake up and get your Folgers, you drink it, and then like two hours later, you go on that. He was obviously on the whole like a whole spree like in his in his mind. Um, you know, you know what else can you say about it? Uh, but my initial reaction was like, you know. You know the stereotype, like oh, there's like a you know massage bar or whatever, and then it was like all over the st- all over the city and stuff, and it was just you know it's like hard to like talk about it and not a because you know obviously we don't know what people are, but like you, everyone's talking about it. But it, I always think like the actual moments when something happened, and 
um, of course, everyone's talking about this, but I'm just going to talk about this moment that I didn't know. About. Like, I was on Twitter and I was, you know, I follow someone who was like on a show, or whatever, and, you know, I worked with them for a little bit and he, he shared it. There was no Twitter, like, this is sensitive, whatever. And it was a video of the two neighbors arguing. Did you see that video of like, two neighbors arguing about snow? And the guy comes out of, uh, out of his house and shoots both of them right in the face. Like, and they both, like, I saw someone, you know, on, on video. So when people just talk about things like, oh, this happened, that happened, and you actually see it, like, it's like fucking, you know, it's, it's a crazy experience, you know, and then, you know, in, especially in real life. But I'm just saying, like, because we're all experiencing this through media and we have our, uh, our reactions to it. Uh, but, uh, here in New York, I know it was Atlanta, but here, here in New York, uh, it's called the diversity, uh, square, uh, in Queens, uh, which is a, a very, uh, heavily populated, like Asian, uh, area, Asian community. So as soon as that happened, they had a, a moment where everyone came together, you know, uh, there's a hashtag out there. So, um, you know, it's just been going on for a year and a half, but we haven't really been talking about it. now with like, you know, more violence. Many communities in the last, especially in the last few years, um, they're being more vocal and that's the whole point. Um, you know, women, different, uh, we're talking about the Asian community in America, uh, last year, of course, we had the, you know, the, the, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement getting more prominence. Uh, so basically, um, the, you know, the, the, the detractors are the ones that are kind of, you know, they're the problem, obviously. So in this episode, we're going to talk about um, something that we've been talking about, what, every other episode? Uh, about you know cancellation but this is more than that this is a you know family issue and it affects uh, everyone who cares about pop culture and people uh, in real life who been affected by something like this but in the the alan farrell thing it's celebrity but in if you want if you're listening to this now this could be happening down your road so that's why it's important to watch it. Okay, so HBO Max has a documentary. They've been doing a lot of great documentary, a lot of a lot of uh, great series. Uh, and this one we, we're going to talk about today is focusing on uh, uh, Woody Allen and Mia Farrow. Um, just as like a personal thing, like growing up in the '90s, only thing I knew about this was like I would watch reruns of like SNL, and they would do like jokes about. Um, Woody Allen, and then which we'll talk about uh, his relationship with Mia Farrow's one of her adopted daughters that he, you know, he was in, he was so grow up, which we'll get into. Um, but you know, it was always like kind of joked about, and uh, it wasn't really considered that serious as a, looking back. Uh, and one of my favorite movies, I, I Annie Hall in Manhattan. Or like I used to love watching that. Uh, 20 years ago that was kind of like uh um something i would watch like like once every you know a like couple of years you know one, once or twice a year um and then now we're going to talk about um you know 2021 looking back and um yeah so show you have the the background on it any more background on it 
Uh, yeah, it was, you know, a four part series. Um, I was interested in it because I always found like Woody Allen to be like a creeper. Um, I remember like one of my earliest memories of him was, um, or, or the earliest memory of me being like, you know, this, this guy, you know, it's not my kind of guy was, <laughs> again, was, um, I think it was like 2014 or yeah, I think 2014 where the, like the Golden Globes, mm-hmm. they gave him like the lifetime like, achievement. Yeah. And like, um, Diane Keaton was the presenter cause you know, she was like a collaborator of his and, um, I was just like, this is weird. Cause like, you know, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know about like the, the stuff with Dylan. I just thought like, it was weird that mm-hmm. he married his, um, stepdaughter essentially because they met, uh, him and Soon Yi. She was like nine or 10 years old when he started dating uh, Mia Farrow in 1980. So uh, she was nine or 10 years old. I mean, admittedly in in the documentary did say like he had like a distant relationship with her and the kids. Like he didn't want to be Mm. um, involved with the kids at all, but he wanted to date um, Mia Farrow, which you know, stuff we, we've talked about all on this whole, you know, throughout the history of the show that, like, you know, um, you know, the stepfather thing, like, you know, if you're going to date a woman with kids, you kind of have to date, um, I got to choose my words wisely, because I was going to say, like, when you date a woman with kids, you're dating her and the kids. Um, I think he mm-hmm. took that a little bit too literally. Um, I just found it weird because, and I, I found it weird that people like continued to like work with him because, you know, like Mike, like if you worked with somebody and let's say you met their wife and it was like their wife was like drastically younger than them. And it's like, oh, like how, okay, like this is interesting. How did y'all meet? 45 years 46 old? and she was like 22, I think or something. No, something like that. No, no, he was in his 60s when they got married. He was like 45 when she was when he started dating me. Oh, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. Yeah. Um. Oh, and she was 12 then. Okay. Yeah. So it's like you, you if you met somebody and they were like you worked with somebody or, um, yeah, if you met somebody and it was like 45 years old, I mean, you met somebody and it was like in their 50s and their wife was in their 20s and you say, oh, when did you guys meet? Oh, you know, I was like dating her mom. Okay, so mm-hmm. how old was she then? And how old were you? Oh, I was 45 years old and she was like 10. Mm-hmm. You know, you you would be like, all right, dude, like I don't I don't, I don't think I, I want to like be around this guy or have like my family around this guy, but apparently that never dissuaded people in Hollywood and you know, people already have their um feelings about like you know, pedophilia in Hollywood, like you hear um Corey Feldman. Mm-hmm. Like he's coming yeah. on, he's out in a lot of people that were pedophiles. Todd Bridges, he said like he was, you know, um molested at, at, at the age of eleven. So people already got this idea of Hollywood and the big studios and just being in our business that like, you know, pedophilia is like a big thing. 
All right. Well, uh, not a pedophilia, but but also um, now I was going to bring it up somehow in this. Uh, we were still in the beginning because it's a four part series, but let's just do the whole uh, backstory to it. Preamble. Um, I've been watching a lot of I've been listening to a lot of uh, Howard Stern in the last week. I just had it playing in the background and he makes like a he alludes to a he goes very, you know, you know, a major um, executive at like a studio. And he says it in a way where like it comes like he starts doing a joke then he gets all serious for a minute and then um then it turns into a joke again but obviously he was talking about harvey weinstein and um so it, that was always like a secret you know like because who know you know who who knows you know that's the whole thing pedophilia and also just like you know uh forcing someone to do something you know that it's it's both despicable um whatever degree you want to say but it's both like terrible yeah. And you know we brought we already brought it up with the Hollywood, um, yeah. But um, going back to what I said about SNL, like there was no context, so I just saw the jokes and I knew who Woody Allen was, and he was always even in the nineties. He was always like they alluded to, um, like my favorite show, like Seinfeld. They would allude to him like um, like he was something to tra- like a national treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, but another thing too was. Um, he was part of this whole thing in the 1990s when we grew up uh I, when we when we were growing up uh i was always watching tv watching like entertainment news and stuff i was just like fixated on like i love like entertainment in hollywood and stuff and uh it was you know it was uh it was you know they had woody allen and mia farrow but i didn't know what it was i i grew up on like the oj thing with uh nicole brown and uh her friend the whole thing and I had this thing, it was a comic book and it was like made light of um, all the different scandals in the nineties. Um, but it's just funny because it was such a big deal in the 1990s. And then there was like, what, 20 year low up until, uh, you know, Ronan Farrow, uh, he had a show on MSNBC. Well, he doesn't have any more. Yeah, but he had a show on MSNBC uh, five, six years ago, uh, and he was very vocal. And he's a big part of this documentary. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially in one of the episodes. Um, so it's important to remember. Um, it's important to remember that because the low, because in the 2000s, he did a lot of movies that were, uh, you know, uh, you know, award winning and acclaimed um i think we talk about this in another episode where like a very prominent movie like let's say like 2014 i think he had a great he had a very popular movie in 2014 uh even though people were kind of getting like, like midnight in paris or something like that yeah that's what i was going to say there's a, there the poster of it was them in front of the the river in in paris i, don't know, I forget what it's called mm-hmm. um but that was like the thing that was like the last big big movie and then you had 2015 uh, Ronan Farrow uh, started talking about something that kind of launched like the Me Too movement. Uh, if you remember, it was the same month or same like kind of months as uh, when Trump uh, did the whole thing with the the airplane behind him, the jet behind him, mm-hmm. and he had the red hat on for the first time. So that that and that kicked off the same like month. And um, so you know, it's, it, this is like five and a half years later. Uh, now we have a concise history of uh something that i didn't know like i always thought about Tunis. 
I didn't know this whole thing about uh, Dylan Farrell or Dil- uh, I don't know the last name, but D- you know the daughter. Oh, Dylan, Dylan Farrell and all, yeah. Yeah, Dylan Farrell, yeah. Uh, who is you know part of the project? Um, so yeah, before we get into part one, you have any uh, personal history? When when was the first time you ever had an inkling or heard about this in uh, in your? Well, you know, like the um. You know, I always say, like, back in, uh, like, 2004, uh, 2003, 2004, I used to watch, like, VH1 a lot. And one of the things they had, one of the specials I remember they had was, like, 200 biggest, like, pop culture icons in history. And, like, he was on the list, and I was the first time I was introduced to him. And then they was kind of like, yeah, Woody Allen, he had, like, this big relationship with, like, Mia Farrow and, like, then he like married like his daughter he married her daughter and it was kind of played up in a way of like you know in the same way it's like oh like he he left the older woman for the younger model and that's how it was presented then it didn't have none of this like you know it didn't like you said it didn't provide like the context to it and then later on in life, like the more and more I thought about it, I'm like, that's kind of weird. Like, you know, you um, were in a relationship with this woman for like uh, more than a decade and you were around her kids and stuff like that. And one of the kids is the one that you, one of, one of the kids you eventually married and even not same relationship, like they didn't really discuss it at length, but from the amount of like stuff I've watched um, about like, you know, sexual assault, sexual harassment, sexual predators, rape and all that stuff that like, you know, is, is certain behaviors that profile as like predatory behavior. And a lot of it is um, a lot of it are the things like you notice in the relationship between he and Soon Yi, as well as him and, um, Dylan. Yeah, you brought it up already. Uh, I was going to get into it more because we're going to break this down. We're going to talk about it's four parts. So I was going to bring this up in part two, uh, but we can, I'll bring it up now because you said it, uh, a history, a pattern, which is anything type of like crime, a, a history of or a pattern. So uh, in part one, uh, it starts off, it's like a home video. Uh, Mia Farrow's like home video of there in like their Connecticut home, I believe. And um, it's just showing the kids. Um, we are, we're introduced to Dylan. We're, uh, we're introduced to other uh, children that Mia Farrow adopted uh, because, you know, they show it first. And then they, then they go back to how they met. And uh, same as like, the history of, like, not even doing something, whatever, like doing something, not a history of that, but just like uh, the way he the way he like presented the relationship like not ultimatums help me out with the word uh like um not not like you know when you're dating someone it's like oh that's a uh what's the word again when you're like deal breaker deal breaker deal breakers there yeah. you go there we go teamwork yeah yeah so the deal breaker for him was i don't want children you know i don't want to be around children i don't want whatever whatever so maybe this guy was struggling with this shit or he was doing stuff in like the, you know the 60s and 70s because he's been and he was did they ever bring it up? I don't remember, but he was like a writer on like the um, this uh, the shows in New York. Uh, he was with like I, I maybe I'm just talking bullshit, but I think he was with um, um, 
what's his name, like Mel Brooks and stuff, like as a, a writer, like uh, when he was like twenty. Yeah, 20 I mean, five. like he he came he came up like his his career kind of took off in like the late '60s, early '70s, but at this point he was like in his like mid to late thirties, so he's kind of like a late bloomer. Um, yeah. It wasn't like he was like a um like a wonderkin, like he was like Orson Welles where. Like his career took off when he was like twenty. It's like he, you know, it wasn't until he was older. Yeah, he was like a struggling like staff writer. Um, so yeah, when he hits the, you know, like in the late fifties, uh, like you said, like he wasn't one of those like, uh, you know, like eighteen or twenty year old like, oh wow, look at this guy. Um, he was just one of those guys who like wrote for people and shit. Like, um, yeah, but uh, who knows? Like what he was dealing with? Maybe you know who knows what else happened. Uh, but he put down these parameters and this whole like, deal breaker thing. I said, but he was saying, I don't want kids. I don't want to be around kids and stuff like that. And then little, like a couple of minutes later in the documentary, um, Mia Farrow uh, said something like, the, which, oh yeah, we should bring this up. They have audio from his uh, autobiography from like a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it called again? Uh, apropos, apropos of nothing. Yeah. Apropos of nothing. And it's crazy. It's like he was like, "Oh, they're making a documentary about me." Oh, let me do this. This is like my defense. Mm-hmm. Um, now that you know, after the first time, I, first time I thought it was like a uh, a document, uh, a um, audio book from like the '90s or something, or like the, you know, uh, I thought it was just an old uh, autobiography. And then when they show it in the next episode, it's like it's him like just straight up like trying to like um, defend himself and like say what happened and stuff. You should give some background on the the kids too. Like she adopted, mm, right? She had fourteen kids in total over her life to this day. That were um adopted or natural. I think only four, by my count, were her natural kids, um, including um Ronan. Ronan, yeah. And Dylan was like adopted like a year before Ronan was born, mm. um. Or around the same time. And he she got Soon Yi. Soon Yi was actually like on the streets of like Vietnam. She was like four years old. Her mother was her actual birth mother was kind of like um you know absentee and here and there. And Mia Farrow like adopted her. She adopted like several kids from like the Far East. Um Oh, the context of that, the context of that is it was a Vietnam War, and a lot of people were displaced. Uh, I know, you know, I have a thing about adoption. Um, there was many people in America um, that were, you know, adopted from Vietnam during the Vietnam War, uh, and you know, uh, there's another uh, uh, daughter of her of hers um, from then Daisy. before Sun Yi. Yeah, Daisy. Yeah, 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 I have her in a Daisy. Daisy and Moses. Oh. Moses is Korean. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Well, um, I said Far East. So. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like the the context of it is like the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. What do you call that again? The embassy. There were yeah. so many people left without any family because like parents like people left and then they left their kids there. Um, it's just you can look into that if you're listening to us. Not look into that. That's a crazy part of history because American history. Yeah, so that's the context of uh, the children that are involved in in the whole. Because 
the important thing about this documentary is that it's not from like a narrator it's from the people involved it's from the children and like they talk about like oh i remember this seems very therapeutic like they're like in therapy you know they're like oh i remember like playing with you know dylan or whatever and then i remember this happening it's like very much like that mm-hmm. um which is important because as like a just just separating myself from like the content uh showing a home video in the beginning like that was important because it's like oh this is very personal it's not a movie it's not a show it's not a movie this is a home video so like it's that sets you into into motion because uh of course everyone like now we all know about the story but when you put it in a personal uh way like that uh that was important that and that's you know part one yeah so um I was saying this before we get we started talking about the children, but I was just want to talk about um, Woody Allen when they're recording the courtship, and when they eventually were getting more serious, he was saying, "You know, I don't want any children. I don't. Want, I don't want to be around children. Like, I don't want to be around children. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus, come on." Uh, and then eventually, like, this is where I left off the last time when I was on at this point. So, and then he said, "All right." have your you know have a kid adopt a kid or whatever but uh i don't want to do anything i don't want to whatever whatever i'm gonna live in this apartment across central park you live over here we'll hang out we'll do it so my thing is have your cake and eat it too yeah i mean that's why i wanted to bring up like the kids because it's like it's not like she had like one or two kids it's like you you're dating a woman i had like seven or like seven or eight kids at the time and she was a single mom because um her previous husband Andre Previn Previn they had Daisy, seven, yeah, yeah yeah so Daisy was has the last name of the, the gentleman so that's who she adopted Soon Yi and she had like most of her um biological children with but she also adopted like three or four other kids on top of that but the point I'm trying to make is like you know like if you have an issue with being around these kids and you don't want to be a part of these kids lives why would you start a relationship with a woman with a shit ton of kids you know what i'm saying like that's the point of this documentary yeah it's just that's the part that always like fascinated me and his little like audio book like he didn't even like explain that like well i didn't i initially didn't want to be around the children or he didn't explain that like well, I didn't want to be around these kids, but, you know, like, she had all of these kids, and for whatever reason, like, I was so attracted to her, I couldn't help but to, you know, make myself a part of their lives, and I couldn't, like, just, I didn't want to um, end a relationship because she had children. He never said anything like that, so that's that part is still, like, a mystery to me. Yeah, so he had this whole, okay, now we have finally remembered Gilbreaker. Uh, what about what about her you know it's like it's all about him um i'm gonna you, you mentioned the audiobook from whatever it says 2020 i don't know when it came out but it was like recorded in 2020 the audio check this out they show the interview with he had with like a um i i, I know all talk shows i know they show uh dick cavett i love dick cavett i love david letterman i love johnny carson they showed some other gentleman i'm not sure who it is it was off camera but um He's, you know, this is in his height. He was talking about like going to FAO shorts after hours. And he's like, oh, yeah. 
F.L. Schwartz, you know, whatever, whatever. And then this is what he said, because you're saying well, you Dylan, mentioned what he Dylan was adopted. No, 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 I know that. Yeah, I'm talking about the you know, but I'm saying like the whole point of what you were saying, like the 2020 audio. Mm-hmm. This is him in like I guess like you know in the early in late seventies early eighties I don't know, but he goes um. He mentioned something. Um, oh yeah, this is the, I jotted this down. He goes, well now you're expected to have a boy or a girl or uh, how do you feel well, you know? And he goes, well I hope it's a girl. That's what he said. <laughs> that that's that jumped out to me. Did that jump out to you? Yeah. yeah. Well I hope it's a girl. Yeah. For a person I didn't want children for him to like kind of be like dead set. On one of them, like you know, you think that person Dude. would say, Well, I ain't really want it to begin with, but you know, uh, just to have a baby, I'm, I'm happy, you know what I'm saying? But, like, yeah, so like if I said, Um, hey, well, uh, you know, God willing, you know, Michael, you're, you're you know, your wife, your your wife is uh pregnant, and he's like, What do you want, a boy or a girl? I just hope the baby's healthy, yeah, fucking psycho, anyway. So, uh, <laughs> let's go into uh, sorry, that's a that's a uh. Uh, commentary okay so the, the, the it's gonna part be one ends, out in this segment i'll tell you that right now <laughs> so part one ends with uh dylan talking about like um well they, they mentioned that like he would of course like i said he had an apartment there in the manhattan because he's a freaking yeah, they were you know, new opposite, york god opposite, yeah. opposite sides of central park like i said yeah he's on the east side she's on the west side i believe a something life, like that a life me me nor my would know anything about? No, no, no. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm on this side of Van Cortland Park. She's on that side of Van Cortland Park. <laughs> uh, it's a love story. Uh, anyway, so um, that's an insider local. That's a local joke. But anyway, oh, and going back to seriousness. Uh, so it ends with uh, the whole thing with when he would come to the uh, Connecticut estate or even in the apartment in Manhattan, he focused on one particular of the children, Dylan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, very uncomfortably, it ends with, uh, you know, her saying the way he like, he would like fixate on her. Like there'd be like three kids and he would like have her on her lap and stuff. Yeah. And they were alluding to that, which in part two, they explain that. But uh, the whole like sucking of the thumb thing, what did you think about that? I saw it. It was odd to me. Um, mm, yeah. Like, stick putting your thumb. First of all, like, you shouldn't, with children, you shouldn't be, because you don't know where your hands has been. Like, there's a lot of germs there. So you shouldn't be putting your hand in their mouth. Um, and that's why, like, kids, like, when they're younger, like, you, you, um, you try to get them off of like sucking their fingers and stuff like that because it carries like a lot of bacteria. But um, for him to be doing that as a thing, like, you know, playing around her mouth with his thumb is just scary behavior. I mean, they also, at the same time, um, when you talked about like he, he isolated, he used to be fixated on her. And like, they also said that because him and him, I mean, her and... Ronan, Ronan was like born a year after she was, so they were around like the same age. So when mm-hmm. Ronan was born, he kind of used that as a way to like kind of isolate her from Mia and kind of like keep her to himself. And you know, Mia said that at the same time, she was like, um, she felt 
that he was doing that at the same time. I mean, she didn't understand why all the time after she gave birth, like he always used to separate. And then Dylan even said that he would tell her like, oh, she's like Ronan's mommy now. She's not yours or something like that. You know, kind of, again, this is part of like the predatory behavior. Mm. Oh, wow. To establish, kind of to like establish that I'm your only parent. So only my voice matters. So whatever I say, you must do. Mm. You know? Yeah, you used the word, uh, you used the word predatory. I didn't even think about that. And that's a good word. Uh, it's, a, plan, it's, it's, it's a bad thing, but a good word. It's, it's, I'm going to point out, like, every, we're going to keep going, and yeah. I'm going to point out all the, the stuff I find to be predatory okay. behavior. All right. So, finishing up part one, um, talking about the, the sucking the finger, like, she, in great detail, said, like, it went on for a long time, like, minutes. And then she said, like, oh, he told me to, like, how to use my tongue and stuff like that. So they're alluding, you know, this is like the end of it. Like that's that, that's how it ends. And then it, the first part ends with Mia Farrow uh, finding Polaroids of Sunyi. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and all full disclosure, you know, we had a little break. Uh, you know, I was like, hey, my mom was like, hey, what are you talking about today? I was like, yeah, well, you know, the Woody Allen thing. And like, yeah, of course, you know, she, you know, she's like probably the same age, you know, or, you know, I wouldn't know she's younger, but uh she mentioned something about, oh, yeah, like the lingerie photos and like the polar lingerie. I was like, lingerie. Uh, Mia Farrow said, she goes, this wasn't Playboy, it was Hustler. Mm-hmm. We all know what Hustler is, which is, you know, I was like, Jesus. Yeah. Um, and like, so first year of college, what are you like, 17, 18? Uh, and she used the word raunchy. Like Mia Farrow, like, you know, she, you know, a, a if you find something startling, it would take you a long time to like come to grips with it. And of course you got to remember that Woody Allen is a fucking God at this point. Yeah. What's she going to do? Like, um, yeah. come, come to grips with it. And but just like, um, that's what they, that's what they claim. That's what he and soon he claimed that the relationship started, um, as early as her being in her first year of college. So yeah, like, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20 around that range. But um from and this is where I talk about like the predatory behavior. Like she was said to be from all her life was kind of like the isolated one. She didn't really talk much. She didn't have like boyfriends. She didn't talk to boys when she was in high school. And one of the things like Mia thought about you know, a way to kind of break her out of a show was, you know, Woody Allen used to go over to Nick games, Madison Square Garden, courtside seats, stuff like that. So he used, she, she admitted that she used to tell him to like, oh, why don't you take Sun Yi to like a basketball game or stuff like that? So she could, you know, be around people and probably like find something to like relate to somebody with. And this was when she was like 15, 16. So mm. the point I'm trying to make is that like, they say he and Sun Yi that it started her first year at college. But for all we know, like from the time he started taking her to those Nick games, you know, when she was like 15, 16 years old, like it could have been started from then because he had his own apartment. Mm, yeah. Um, why would, why would you, if you're doing this whole debauchery thing or not debauchery, just like, 
I want my own space because why? I have a whole room full of pictures of people on Polaroids, you know? That's yeah. like serial killer shit. Mm-hmm. And then, I cut you off. I cut you off. Sorry. No, 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 it's fine. Um, and then the other thing is that when she was in high school, I think she went to like a prep school in Manhattan and Mia <laughs> talked to like the maids, like the housekeeper and a doorman at the building where Woody Allen was, was staying at and they'd say like, Soon you used to go there and they'd walk in and not see her till the next day. Mm. Same clothes and everything. So obviously that you know implies, you know, the implications. Your eyebrows said it all. Yeah. Uh not to make light of it, because we have, you know, life is crazy. Um I, I jumped I jumped over. I mentioned the Polaroids, but also uh before that, um he went to therapy. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing, you know, the analysis of it or the, th- you know, a therapeutic version of, of whatever they were going through. Um, they said, remember what they said, like that he didn't know it was sexual. So I'm like, what I'm thinking about like Santa Claus, like sitting on my lap. Yeah. Is that what they're trying to do? Is that, is that the, like the, the argument that it was like a, a kid sitting on my lap and I'm Santa Claus. Yeah. And then. That, is that what they're doing? Is is that what you got from that? Because I've never been around children. It's his way. Uh, it, that's his version of showing affection. Uh, if yeah, that's what the the therapist no, the, side said. Right? Yeah, so like yeah. if I do something, hey, what's up? Hey, two kids here. That's the way you perceive it. So basically, this is why I jotted down. You're blaming the victim. Yeah. Before that was even the term. Like yeah. so, victim shaming. Victim shaming. So if like, it, let's say I had like a aunt or like an uncle or whatever, like, like, hey, what's up? Let's play basketball. And like, hug me or whatever. And mm-hmm. it was a long hug, and I felt uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm just hugging my I'm hugging my nephew. That you know, now I, I completely can like put my feet in someone else's shoes, which is half the people that we deal with can't do it. But uh, did you get that from that? But you did bring up something too along, and I didn't even think about it with the predatory behavior. And I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's is is I'm looking upon it differently because like now, like people could just send you, like if you're talking to a girl, she could send you nudes. You could send nudes to them. And back then, they didn't have that, so they would have the Polaroids. But the Polaroid thing is like the the Polaroid thing. Like you talk about serial killers, that's what a lot of serial killers would do. They would have trophies. They would call them trophies. Yeah, a piece of you, a remembrance, like having like a piece of your shirt or like something. Yeah, man. Hey, we lived on uh, Dateline, and then now it's Netflix. But let, me, but let me ask you something. So if if a teacher was having a relation like a high school teacher was having a relationship with a student that was 18 years old is still considered statutory rape if i'm not mistaken and why is that is it i, I believe it is even well, if the student even if the student is of age like it's still technically considered um statutory rape like i think in new york here like the age of consent is 16 so if a teacher had a relationship with a 16 year old student they could still be tried for like statutory rape and you okay. know you know the reason that for happened that? that happened in my high school okay what's the reason why 
because it, it's a situation where that person is an authority figure over Dangerment. exactly so the thing with Sun Yi and Woody Allen he was in a relationship with her mother for more than a decade mm-hmm. he met her when she was a child so he was like the male authority figure in her house so imagine if like Sun Yi got out of line with Woody she would be disciplined because that's being disrespectful to, you know, your mom's partner or Mm -hmm. technically like your stepfather. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's something to to think about again with the the predatory thing. He held, he held, um, he held authority in their household. He, he he was kind of like the be all end all. And then the thing about her not having, not being like sociable and kind of like isolated, that's another, um, another instinct that predators have. Like they will hone in on the person that is, um, weakest. Exactly. But I want you to continue because I'm going to come back to another predatory behavior of his. What I was saying about the high school thing, um, uh if you look at my background you can probably find out who i'm talking about but uh let's just say imaginary something happened where it was someone who was like 19 they got left back probably and uh something happened like when they were getting your they were getting their yearbook and they were like you know eight 19 year old like you know full beard and shit and uh but they knew them when they were like 15 it's the same thing as woody allen like oh yeah you were a freshman but now you're 19 uh it was a man on a woman you know the the teacher female teacher and it was always it was always laughed about i was always like kind of weird it always comes back to me because he was like one of, she was one yeah, of my teachers I mean, too. it's a, it's a but, lot wait, easier when oh let me like, oh yeah. let, let me also say that it was like uh a 23 year old the teacher was like 22 like the, when you're you know which is not an excuse but it was like always you know i always thought about this and um things were always just like swept it on the rug all right, so uh, part two, like I said earlier, it was more of like uh, how Woody Allen was. Oh, yeah, this is what I forgot to say. Okay, guys. Uh, so part one, you know, it's like the whole Woody Allen's like um, history, why he's important, why we're talking about him in 2021. They went back to the 60s. They, they explain it. Because I forget I forget I'm in my 30s now that there's kids that have no idea who Woody Allen is. So they're watching this and they're like, who the fuck is Woody Allen? Oh, you know, that's the whole thing. And I I just, I still can't like, you know, wrap my head around it. Uh, but, they, you know, they establish him as why he's respected, why he was respected. Mm-hmm. And then this whole other thing here. And then the com- conflict. And is this going to fall? Is this going to, you know, like, this you know what i mean saying uh so part two is mia farrow's rise because you got to remember mia farrow she's always you know the victim she's always like whatever but she had her own history she's a second generation hollywood um Mm -hmm. uh we talk about rosemary's baby that was her like whole big moment Uh, ironic (laughs) hey 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 thanks thanks pal thanks pal predators yeah yeah you just that's my whole point is but like my mom always talked about rosemary's baby because uh 
like she was like you know she was like a kid and like her mom brought her there and it was like the most like it was like nc-17 pretty much it, and she was like what the fuck am i watching and she always brings it up and it was Mia, you know mia farrow and yeah so like mia farrow had this the roman polanski thing and uh you also talked about um the 2014 lifetime achievement award yeah what was it like 2008 2006 roman Polanski finally came back to america and they give him the red carpet because he fl- oh, all right all right guys all right had to come they probably only let him in for that one night and he had to go right back just like um johnny sock in in the sopranos when he he, he got out for his <laughs> daughter's <laughs> he got oh, my out for fucking his daughter's fucking wedding day you and they hold his ass out <laughs> they hold yeah. his ass out in the reception like that's probably what they told him like nope you can't go to no after parties you can take your ass and yeah. get back on the plane yeah, and then she, you know, the other famous thing was that she was married briefly to Frank Sinatra, and I was like another like May December relationship because I think he was in his fifties and she was in her twenties, um, and it's mm-hmm. Im- implied, and I I think it's the case because like, um, good lord, I yes. think it's I think it's it's I I because she admitted that there's a possibility that. I, Ronan's father was Frank Sinatra and not Woody Allen. And if you look at him, a picture of him, and you look at a picture of Woody Allen, and you look at a picture like Frank Sinatra, he kind of looks way more like Frank Sinatra. Has the blue eyes. What was Frank Sinatra's famous nickname? Um, I talked to my mom a lot about this stuff, and for years she's always like, "Oh yeah, like oh yeah." Like she said this like in like the '90s. She's like, "Oh yeah." Um, or in the 2000s, she, she'd be like, oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, Ronan is, like, definitely, she's he's definitely yeah, Sinatra's they, they kid have the or same, whatever. I'm like, I don't give a shit. And then, they have the same nose and the same smile lines. Oh, he looks like him. Yeah. Mickey Blue Eyes, right? Is it with Mickey Blue Eyes or something? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Old Blue um, Eyes. But, but what she said was, well, no, 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 no. What she said was this. He has yet to get a blood test about you know, finding out. Yeah, but it's Nancy Nancy Sinatra, so there's no way they say he had a vasectomy. He said he had a vasectomy. Yes. But, um, yeah, that was the implication. Boy, and when we're talking about Mia Farrow, and they met at some restaurant, um, Elaine's, um, mm-hmm. where he used to play his clarinet. That's not predatory behavior. It's just a weird old behavior. Like, yeah, I used to, <laughs> I used to go to Elaine's. SpongeBob? I used to go to Elaine's every Thursday around eight o'clock, and I would just play the clarinet. Like, see, that's why I couldn't Squidward? be rich. Squidward. That's <laughs> why I couldn't be rich. Like, I would just like go to this fancy ass restaurant and then look over my shoulder and hear like like a very like poor like clarinet player, and I look over and it's freaking Woody Allen. I'm like, what kind of what kind of like can I t- can I get this to go? Like, I don't want to hear this shit. Yeah, but, you know, to go on with it. So he had donated his scripts and his notes and some of his films to, I believe, it was Princeton or Yale? I want to say Princeton. Oh, um, no, it wasn't Princeton. That's Jersey. Yale is Connecticut. So I would say Connecticut. Yeah, because that's where they lived. Okay. Princeton's Jersey. So, yeah, I would say. We'll, we'll so, double check, but don't, well, don't. I, I had to make sure because Yale um, plays a part in something else 
uh, later on with Dylan and um, the investigation. Um, but he donated his scripts with the notes and his films and the notes on some of the scripts that he did, it would like, all, like all, I think the person, one of the people, uh, like a reporter, like he was talking about it on a documentary where he was saying like, if you look at the scripts, like a lot of the notes were like, you know, this young woman was sexy and and in love with this older man and she was 20 and then he scribbled that out and it's like, nah, she's 16. And then he scribbled that out and like, nah, she's 17. So he was like trying to say that, like it was like a lot of his scripts involved and a lot of his finished movies and finished works. And one of them, um, Manhattan, actually had a relationship with a 17 year old girl and it was kind of like a pattern. Mm-hmm. He was almost like obsessed with it. And I like it not because me and Mike, we've written stuff before. And yeah, it's right you, here. I got shit right here. And you great, great work. And when you start writing stuff, um, well, for me, what I found like the exercise was is that usually you'd write the main character and the character main character will have, you know, like kind of be like you're you'd be living vicariously through that character. Mm-hmm. And you know, after a while, you get a little bit better with character development and you can flesh out characters a little bit more that aren't you and you could imagine somebody else playing them. And for some reason, Woody Allen is the type of person that he did that his whole career, but just never took the training wheels off where a lot of us did. Because in all of his movies, mm-hmm. well, most of his movies, his early works, I guess now because he's a lot older, he can't do it. And a lot of his movies, like, it makes him where it's, like, he's some kind of, like, sexual dynamo and some kind of, like, sex symbol. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, what the hell? And I'll admit to you, Mike, like, yeah, I only, like I've only seen yeah. one of his movies. The only movie I've seen, I was just, like, a happenstance. I happened to see it um, when I was uh, when I was in my, my high school years. Um, mm-hmm. Mighty Aphrodite with him and um, uh, Mira Sorvino. And he's like adopted a prostitute's um, child that she gave up for adoption. And he goes to find the mother. And then the mother's Mira Savino, who's like 25 at the time or something like that. And the end of the movie, the climax of the movie, like him and Mira Savino have sex. And I'm just like, this makes no freaking sense at all. Like the amount of, like, she's a prostitute. And I'm like, the amount of men she's probably had in her life, a prostitute and a, a porn star or something like that. And I'm like, the amount of men she's had in her life, like the one she falls for is like this old nerdy ass. Uh, Fantasy. Yeah. And it's just like, it don't, it doesn't make sense. It only makes sense to Woody Allen. And yeah, I was just right. confused as to how like society in general just accepts this. Like, oh my God. Yeah. This, this is great. Accepting, when it's like, accepting is the word. Yeah. Yeah, when it's like uh, basically also, like this guy is just uh, like living vicariously. He's just living out, writing out his fantasies, and you guys is like yeah. eating up. But Mike, you you you're more familiar with his film, so you could probably no. So I saw Annie Hall, Manhattan. Like I've said, I told Chug already that I love those movies, and I saw Radio. It's about like um, Jews in, the, in like Brooklyn in the '30s, and the other one, I oh, what the hell is the other one? 
There was another one that I, used to, I watched a few times. I have my DVD somewhere in my collection. It might be behind this whole thing. I, I hide, I, you know, because I have like doubt. It's embarrassing. I have so many DVDs. Um, I'll sell them once that becomes retro. All right, so Manhattan. I love Manhattan. Uh, they allude to it a little bit. I thought they were going to go all the way with it. They even mentioned who it was. It was uh, uh, Hemingway, the granddaughter of Ernest Hemingway. Yeah, she was like a model at the time. Yeah, and she was popular up until like, the nineties, and then uh, I don't know what happened. Something happened, but uh, uh, yeah. So I'm going to talk about this for a while. So uh, she's like, you know, like she's 17 in in the movie in Manhattan, and I used to watch this when I was like, you know, like 15, and I loved it. And it was just like I liked the movie Manhattan, and uh, now it, now that I, in my head, looking back at it, like it's these two guys like playing. Um, not like tennis, but the, the racquetball. We're playing racquetball. Like, so are you going to date her again? Or are you going to go back to your wife? You know, like just like very like elitist shit. Mm-hmm. Weird shit. Um, very like insecure. They're very insecure. So I think, hey, jumping ahead, like very insecure people like want to dominate someone or pa- have power over someone. Mm-hmm. There you go. But anyway, in Manhattan, uh, he has like relationships with like different whatever and then at the end i used to always love it me and my brother would be like how oh, we laugh because he he looks at the camera at the end where he go he goes uh no you should go to college you should go to college and then he wants to go with like a woman and the woman's like no i'm gonna go with this other guy or something like that or, or i don't want to be with you then he runs back to her uh like family's apartment before she goes to college and she's like and he's like no, he, first he says like college is not important. Stay with me, whatever, whatever. Then at the end, he's like against like the apartment, like the entrance of the apartment, and he's like, "College is nothing," you know. Like, hey, stay with me. I have, you know, I'm whatever, whatever. And then Hemingway goes like, "You told me that I need experiences and stuff like that, and whatever, whatever." And then like he looks at the camera, like we're all like in in on the joke. Watching it now is like kind of fucking sickening, you know. Yeah, and it's like in a, yeah. a one of the parts they show is like her saying, um, the Mariel Hemmings character who's a seventeen-year-old girl, her saying, "What is when he's trying to like break up with her?" And he's like, "She's like, the sex is great," and you're sitting there. And oh yeah, it's trying to make him look like oh, some kind of sexual dynamo, and then in reality, <laughs> it's the fact that like she's seventeen years old, and he's probably like the only person she's had sex with like if i had oh never, yeah if i've never had a hamburger in my life and the first one i had was white castle of course i'm gonna be like white castle is the greatest hamburger i ever had in my life so i think that was part of his process but it's interesting because that movie was actually inspired allegedly inspired by this young woman at the mm-hmm. time yeah. Uh, Bobby Christina Engelhart, mm-hmm. who he was having a relationship with when she was um, seventeen years old. Um, so that's another until scary... twenty three. Until twenty three. Yeah. So that's another scary thing. So it's these things aren't just him like fantasizing about having relationships with teenage girls. It's like he's literally having one. Another. Like it's not like Quentin Tarantino. It's not, it's not like Quentin Tarantino, but he, he says like the N word all the time. So, like, so you shit on him. 
but also Quentin Tarantino isn't also a hitman who kills, you know, like that's his fantasies, like being the hitman. Yeah. You know, this gentleman used this as inspiration. It wasn't like a, uh, this, this, it was more like that, this. So, uh, which is weird. Um, yeah, actually, well, you know, yeah, I had that down. Um, yeah, it was like, you know, six, she said, oh, it didn't happen until 17, but we, I knew him in, at 16. Mm-hmm. Um, that's still in episode two. So the alleged date of the abuse was August 4th, 1992. Dylan was six years old. This was after the whole, um, after they separated because of finding out about him, him and Soon Yi. And the other part about it that wasn't really talked about at the time. I mean, well, the other part of it was how it was framed at the time. Like I said, when I first got introduced to Woody Allen, it was, oh, like he left me, he left his, his girlfriend for her daughter. And, you know, like I left like the old hag for her younger, for, for a younger model. Um, when in reality, like people made it out at the time to be, you know, this whole thing to be um, fabricated just to denigrate um, Woody Allen's character because Mia was a woman scorned and she basically had coached um, Dylan into saying these things. And the videotape, which wasn't released until this documentary, um, they said that that was her coaching um coaching Dylan, but the the attorney, the prosecutor, the state prosecutor for Kentucky, I mean not Kentucky, Connecticut, um yeah. basically um disputed that because he was like, well, every time you talk to her, like the story was always consistent. It wasn't never really anything changed. And you're talking about a six-year-old girl. Like, how would a six-year-old girl, like, you know, with a six-year-old girl, if she's lying, you know, if you're uh, if you're told to tell the same story like seven times, like obviously at some point something mm-hmm. would change, and then you would know they're lying, but it never changed. But this is why I said the Yale, um, mm-hmm. whether or not he he donated his stuff to Yale or he was a big donor to Yale plays a big part is because the Yale the Yale New Haven Hospital had declared and it was weird because it was very public it was like a whole press conference in front of the building that um Dylan was unreliable and you know her accusations were false this and a third they did this very publicly before notifying the state's attorney office of Connecticut so it, it, it like basically torpedoed any case that they had because it was very public. It didn't really give the state attorney the um, ability to, um, to, to go through the trial. Um, I'm not going to go through like the whole event. If you guys want to hear how, you know, this happened, just look at the third episode of this four part series. Look at part three, everything's in detail there. But what essentially was gathered from it was there were a lot of people trying to protect um, the six-year-old girl because this wasn't any regular old like child child abuse or child sexual abuse case because it was a very public thing. You had 
this famous actress and this famous movie director. Um, and it was all in the news. So at the same time, you have to protect the child's identity. The child is, um, at the time, his and her adopted daughter. So her face is already being everywhere. And, you know, the case, one of the caseworkers actually, like, it was implied that Woody Allen had used his, like, connections to get that guy fired. Um, he eventually got his job back, but he was very, um, he didn't really trust the, the system as much as he did um, before. And his supervisor also left after that whole episode after this whole situation and dealing with this specific case and um, the attorney, the state's attorney, he didn't want to put Dylan through the trial process. He didn't want to put her on the stand and, you know, it become, it become more of a traumatic event on top of, you know, being, you know, abused by um, this man who was her father for all intents and purposes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, also, like the quote that I saw from it was uh, uh, what Alan said was uh, a victim of a scorned woman. Yeah. And growing up, that was that. I gotta tell you guys, I've been obsessed with like Hollywood since I was, or just whatever. I grew up with it. And um, the whole thing was Mia Farrell was crazy. That's what they say. Like Mia Farrow was crazy, or whatever. Woody Allen is can't do no wrong. Yeah. And because uh, we're watching a documentary now, where it's from Mia Farrow's point of view. Mm-hmm. But 1993, 1994, 95. All the I'm watching E Entertainment, and it was all pro Woody Allen. You know, you know. So um, it was victim blaming. Blaming. You know, that's that's like the whole thing. Um, yeah, and it just shows like difference of the time. It, um, because back then everybody like lapped it up. Like I said, as recently as like two thousand three, two thousand four, it was portrayed as oh, like you know, she's mad because he left her for his do- for her daughter. Um, but now in you know over the past like decade you know, with the Me Too and Time's Up and all that stuff, like, people are now starting to, like, listen to the woman. And I mean, like, to me, the the thing I got from the story was just that, like, Mia Farrow and Dylan Farrow are, like, heroes to me because they really had to... They've, they've not wavered in this thing. They've had nothing to gain from calling Woody Allen, like, a child predator or a sexual predator. They have nothing to gain. They're just telling their truths. It's just like, listen, this is what is going on. This is what happened. And, you know, this is our truth. You want to choose to believe us or not, but you are going to listen. Um, Cause I'm like, she, she not, if, if she was so scorned by Soon Yi, why did she keep adopting children? She kept on adopting children. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like with the whole situation, like, it was one of these things where like no good deed goes unpunished because every time when I was watching this thing um, with uh, Sun Yi and then with Moses, where Moses had a close relationship with 
um, Woody. The James, they did the James Cagney thing. He was like, but he was like, hey, he did the whole James Cagney. And then uh, Woody Allen goes, he was like directing him. He was directing his like five-year-old uh, girlfriend's adopted kid. You know, he was like louder, higher, higher. Mary was like, uh, yeah, yeah, she, yeah. That was a moment, you know. Yeah, and he had a close relationship with him, and then it was kind of tarnished when the allegations came out and stuff like that. And then Ronan, he also like admitted that he was kind of like very. He used to push back on Dylan on her accusations until he decided. Until it finally came became clear that he needed to listen to her. And one of the things he said was that. Alan had told him that he paid for his entire college and graduate tuition if he publicly said that Mia and Dylan had lied, which is important because just recently, Moses Farrell has come out and he's defended Woody Allen now. And he's saying that Dylan lied and Mia lied. And he's also a legend that Mia was like physically abusive and emotionally abusive to the kids. Now, mind you, this woman has 14 children, 14 children. And all of the other kids, all the other kids deny that this stuff happened except for Sun Yi. And admittedly in the documentary, Mia Farrow said she did slap Sun Yi when she found out about the Polaroids. So it, she did admit to that. She said that was the only time she hit her and she admitted that she felt yeah. terrible for hitting this girl, even though this girl, done, she, yeah, you don't. know, this girl basically like broke up a marriage. She still felt bad that she... No, no, but she was an adult though. She was an adult. It wasn't her child anymore. If, if I'm 19 or 18 and my dad beats the shit out of me, is, that, is it child abuse? No, I'm an adult now. Well, yeah. I, I'm just saying okay. this. This is the first time I ever heard about this. I don't remember this. I didn't say this part. I guess I skipped it. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it, was in, it was in the, the Ford port. Um, okay. If you guys listen and want to watch it, this is detailed in the fourth episode. So the reason why I kind of linked the what, what he told to Ronan, where it's like, you know, I'll take care of you if you you know, say this stuff publicly. Mind you, this is still technically like his son. Like you should be paying his college tuition anyway. But that's what he, he said. It mm-hmm. was contingent on him publicly um, disputing his mom and his sister. But I say that because Moses, you don't know what his situation was and why he's come out now to to, to deny and with all of these allegations, who's to say that him and Woody hadn't reconnected and he told, you know, Woody told him, like, you know, like, whatever you're going through, like, you know, I'm, you know, he's probably worth, like, billions of dollars now at this point. And he's probably like, you know, I'll, I'll take care mm-hmm. of you. I'll take care of you. Me and Sun Yi will take care of you, you know. Well, I said, not, not to bring that up. Hey, maybe it's a, du- you know, double-edged sword. You, you take him down. And then you don't have the royalties anymore because you would never watch another uh, Woody Allen movie. I'm never going to watch another fucking Woody Allen movie ever again, which is probably like what we should say at the end. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know about Moses. Uh, I like Moses. That that was a great moment. Um, I was a little uncomfortable. It was a little hint of it he, where he was directing him. And uh, he goes, higher, higher. 
doing a James Cadney like an impression. And it's like, okay, it, you can separate that, but I, I, I used it in a lens of um, controlling a child. Um, I think, you know, obviously he's demure. He's very like petite and stuff. He, he was always, you know, pushed around and he became a director. He can push anyone around. Maybe Moses had something else uh, to say. Then who knows if he directed him to say that? You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not alleging. I have no idea. But uh, if, you know, who knows? He's a man who had no power, was pushed around, and guess what? When he had power, he pushed around. So there was talking about um, Roman Polanski. And it was just talking about all of these celebrated people where a lot of people, they just, um, you know, because they're so beloved and their work is so beloved that a lot of people tend to that when allegations and stuff come out, like they're hesitant or outright um, refuse to believe the allegations Cause like, here's the point, like Bill Cosby for me, like I was just like, I was in definitely in a boat and I know a lot of people are still in that boat where it's just like, all right, it's been like 30 years since like, um, these allegations, like, why did they wait so long? And, you know, I was initially like refusing to believe, but then I got into the mode where it was just like, all of these different people are saying the same thing about you. Like, some of it has to be like true and you know he did like joke about you know drugging women's drinks but you know it's, it's comedy so you, you can't really like take it to um you can't really like take it to heart you know much in the same way with Woody Allen and uh you know oh, I'm a 45 year old man and I'm dating like a 17 year old girl type of thing you can't you know you're not supposed to really like take that to heart so the question I was just asking, like, do we let our favorite people off the hook because we choose not to believe the allegations against them? Yeah, the whole thing is like, it's separation from art to human. Like, we watch something, we look at it, and then if you, oh, that's beautiful. Then you turn over here and it's like, oh, this man was a mass suicide. There's this whole thing with like uh, uh, prison art. There was this thing that lasts like 30 years, 40 years, about prison art and stuff um it's like the source like is it a curiosity where like oh man this you know someone who killed 13 people made a uh, or you know 12 some guy made he killed 12 people he made a 12 days of christmas thing with their whatever so you have to you have to like deny it even if it looks beautiful and stuff but his inspiration was from the crimes and stuff uh you know let's talk about another celebrity with um bill cosby I was watching the thing. It was pretty much, I said Ronan Farrow was talking about the Me Too thing. Hannibal Burris talked about uh, Bill Cosby on, on a special, and it was like late, 20, uh, late 2014 or like early 2015. And he goes, he made a joke and he said something about Bill Cosby, and people were like, like, like half pausing. He looked over the crowd and he's like, fuck you. He's like, Bill Cosby is a goddamn rapist. And everyone was like, all really laughing. And then here we go. 
So the, uh, to, to answer the thing is, um, you know, how do you separate? The whole thing is, how do you separate? Well, that was my second question, but I'm I'm gonna move on, move on to I'm that in a second. Here. But the point I was trying to make is like it's easier for me to be like, oh, like Woody Allen definitely did this shit because I don't like Woody Allen. Like I don't like not like I'm not a fan of his and I'm not a fan of his films. So it's easy for me to be like, oh, I don't like it. But at the same time, like you know, when there's people like I do like, um, case in point, like R. Kelly. Like his stuff comes out, and like I'm, you know, I like his music. And at first, I'm kind of like, eh, you know, like how do you know it really is him on on that table? The stuff, but then the facts are kind of like line up. And then the one thing with like R. Kelly, where I kind of like started to believe, um, the the stuff about him was when first of all, I didn't even know that him and like Aaliyah were married when she was like 16 years old and he basically like forced her parents like names Mm -hmm. on the the marriage certificate didn't know that and then he had the um interview on like bt with um toray where toray asked him he was like do you like teenage girls where i'm like you know like any publicist or anybody who's like handling the situation would anticipate him saying flat out like no um, you know, he went in there. He was just like, when you're talking about teenage, like how young are we talking? Like I have girlfriends, you know, and he's like, you know, I've had relationships with girls who were like 18 or 19 and he kind of like went on and on about it. And it was just like, all right, dude, you're, this is, yeah. this is when I started looking at you a different way. So that, yeah. that, that follow up the question that follows up the question, but what you were saying, like, do we separate the art from the artist? Like I said, I don't really care too much about Woody Allen's work because I've never been a fan of it but somebody like R. Kelly like I don't listen to his music um as much as I used to I don't go on like you know some days on Spotify you know I'll open up my Spotify and I just want to listen to a specific artist and I don't have those days where it's like all right I gotta listen to R. Kelly today um I try to move away from those days but like if you know, a song by R. Kelly that I really like comes on, like, I still listen to it, so I could separate it from there. Um, but for you, Mike, you, you're you actually, like, a fan of some of his films, so... Well, only two. And they mentioned it in the documentary. It was, like, any hole in Manhattan. And Manhattan ends with... I, we, me and my brother used to always uh, laugh about it because he looks at the camera. He He's... Do I have to say it? How many times do I bring this up in the last 43 episodes? Meta. He looks at the camera. Because, like, he, like, was obsessed with, this, you know, doing the whole, you know, very offensive stuff, like pedophilia. Like, your sex is good. You know, you're 17. They, but he's also with a mature woman. And then he runs, he breaks up with the mature woman and then runs over to the 17-year-old. Like, he kept telling her to go to college and stuff like that. And then she goes, you're right. I'm going to go to Spain or I'm going to go to college or whatever. And he looks at the camera and he's like, you know, I'm fucked. And we're supposed to relate to this little fucking pervert. Yeah, so, you know, again, like, my takeaway from this whole thing, I was just like, you know, Mia Farrow, she brought all of these children into her life, in, into her life and um, raised them and really gave them, like, a loving um, home and 
it, I just found it like like amazingly like admirable. Like you know the fact that she goes like the adoption route. You know she had her own children, but the fact that like she 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 just had so much love to give. And that's why I think like the long and short of this whole thing is like no good deed goes unpunished because when I think about like Moses and Sun Yi, like the whole time I was watching all four episodes, I was like, damn, she should have left them kids in fucking on the streets of Saigon or wherever the hell she found them. Cause I mean, she brought them here and it's like, they, you know, look, look, look how they, um, it was just, look how they paid her back. Um, and this is just sad. And, and then to see like Dylan, the fact that like she went on and, she was able, you know, she, it was kind of, um, you know, touched on a little bit that, like, she still has the effects of being traumatized by the experience of being, you know, um, sexually assaulted by Woody Allen. But, you know, she went on to have a husband and have a child and, um, you know, went on to live her life. And she even said that the fact that she came out and had her editorial, had her editorial posted in the New York Times, um, it, it, it opened kind of the same way we were talking about off the record where, you know, this person coming out and just saying, like, I was abused by this guy, blah, 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 blah. It, like, influenced a lot more people to come out front and just say, like, you know, I've been victimized by this person, but I'm not going to let them, um, I'm not going to be a prisoner to, to their abuse. Um, and I just think it's, it's heroic. So, and then Mia Farrow, again, the, the adopting the kids, and then she's doing like a lot of work with UNICEF and, that was the one thing I, cause I didn't know too much about like Mia Farrow outside of these things and Rosemary's baby, but just to find out that like, she, she, she really came off like a person with like a, just a big heart, like a huge heart. And, um, people kind of like took advantage of that and betrayed her trust. And it's wild because she said, she said she still has, she she did say that she wished she never met Woody Allen because it wouldn't have caused this harm to Dylan. But she also said that she still has love for Soon Yi and it was like, if Soon Yi ever wanted to come back and repair that relationship, like she would be open to it. And I was just like, wow, this person, like Mia Farrow is like one of my heroes now because she has like a really big heart. Well. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I appreciate the whole relationship, this whole like, dynamic, um, how like abnormal it sounds, but uh, yeah, trust me, uh, not nothing sexual, but like the whole thing is like, uh, I'm like, and then what? Like, like, like the ultimate thing is like, okay, and then, and then what? Like, like I, I I'm, you know, I, I hope, um, you know. That's the whole thing. I was like, I hope that uh, the outcome is, you know, just more than just a documentary. So, yeah. In what way? That makes sense. Well, what's what's the ramifications of this? Uh, is it just to discredit this whole thing, or is it allegate? Is it actual legal legality stuff? What's the outcome of uh, episode? You know, the part four and all that. Like, 
It's, is this a well? It just can't, you know. Like initially, when the stuff came out, people didn't, you know, separate themselves from him. People didn't celebrate him less. Like he still went on to make movies and become nominated, as we said, became a lifetime achievement, a Golden Globe Award winner. And then on top of that, the side shooters had like people like Javier Bardem, uh, Diane Keaton um several other people that work with him where it was like you know when asked about the allegations against him it was like well you know like he gave me this opportunity to work on this great stuff and uh, you know i'm just i just feel like it's wrong for people to like discredit him and it was basically like going out of their way to defend him but at the same time when a lot of stuff came out um with ronan putting out the stuff um out there like because he was that was the first indication of or the first time this stuff like resurfaced really was when he was receiving that lifetime achievement award and he tweeted out he was like i'm sorry i missed um uh, my father's speech but did they talk about you know how he sexually assaulted my sister in 1992 mm. uh it, it was him bringing our stuff out and then a little while after that dylan putting out the New York Times editorial. And then a lot of the actress, a lot of the actors, actors and actresses that worked with him started to um, distance themselves from him. There were people who did films with him who donated their salary from those films to charities for sexual abuse victims because they felt so ashamed. And his final film or his most recent film wasn't even released in the United States, it had to. It was only released in Europe because no studio in America wanted to touch that. Oh, very familiar with Roman Polanski. Yeah. He went to fucking France. Uh, what about that? What what year was the um, Louis C.K. one? It was like, what was that? Um, it was a Louis C.K. had that whole thing too, and Woody Allen. I, one time I wrote, he's like, oh, he's my favorite comedian and stuff like that. And, you know, Louis C.K. is like, you know, how many years? Like seven years or I think you don't hear about him. And then, you know, that's the whole point. Yeah. Well, you know, as, I, as I've said um, several times over this, it's not like he's going to be able to, they're not going to like re-prosecute it, um, re-prosecute mm -hmm. him or try to prosecute him now because obviously the, the case was already dropped and... Um, it really had like a touching moment. It, it really had like a touching moment in the um, in part four of the series where the prosecutor, because he said there was footage of him at a press conference saying, you know, like explaining why he didn't go to trial. And he did say he was like, you know, once Dylan grows up, he'll explain to her the reason why he didn't pursue the, the case. And they sat down and had that talk. And he was, he told her, he was like, you know, I was, I, at that moment, I just felt I had to protect you. And he, he said that he does, of all the cases that he ever had, child abuse, murder, drugs, all of these things that he's prosecuting his whole life. Like, this is a one case that will always stick to him. And he said meeting her um, as part of the series or when they sat down and had this talk, it gave him comfort that she grew up to, you know, go on and have a, a, the the fact that she didn't let um 
this you know traumatic event like the founder he was like really proud and and really like admired really really in admiration of her um but like i said it's, it's these these situations that when they happen it's like you just gotta celebrate the people less i think like stop talking about woody allen like he's this great filmmaker don't have these woody allen film festivals um if he's making movies now there's a lot of people who have already said like yo i'm never ever working with woody allen uh, like in my like ever again or if i if he came approach me i'm not gonna work with them what i want to talk about is how do you how do you appreciate woody allen's work uh in separating from the man from the art and what i thought about it, i was like holy shit like um every single like semester of film school there was a whole okay everyone calm down calm down we're gonna watch something it's a little crazy but the director is fucking awesome and it was uh, a birth of a nation so you're still gonna watch woody allen movies just to show like the framing of uh two people because they 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 were still showing uh birth of a nation and they were like hey don't worry about it this is a really good movie but like the guy is a fucking uh kugas clang you know like white supremacist and all that so would they still show like uh any hole in a film film school capacity i don't think so anymore because of uh it, you know I mean, if, if anything like people were influenced by him so you could start showing those people like Seinfeld, like there's so that. yeah, there's so many Woody Allen esque yeah. people now. Uh, like you could, you don't, yeah. you don't even have to, you you wouldn't even have to. Yeah, you brought it up. I was gonna say like I'm I'm a, I'm I'm a huge Seinfeld guy, and I'm like that's so like you know, but I'm like I, I never liked Woody Allen. He was always a fucking you know, and I never liked him. Um, so yeah, but like I I feel bad, you know, I don't feel bad, but I'm like. I'm concerned about um, because it, it's not just them. It's like anyone. It's a very it's a very thing. Uh, first off, they're you know most of them are adopted. You know they're adopted and stuff, and that's one thing. And then you got to worry about this. Um, I just you know I I think about them and um, not in a similar way, but I can kind of feel I have similar stuff, but. Um, so I kind of relate, I relate to them. So this was kind of a, I wasn't going to watch the documentary until we do this episode. And it was kind of, a, yeah, well, you know, I, and I appreciated watching this, uh, the outcome of it, you know, I don't know, like, what does this lead to? Is it just a, uh, is this just like the beginning of more uh, retrospectives and documentaries of other one, other people, you know? What do you think? Like, is it just like, because this is this is uh, runs rampant in Hollywood. So what's what's next? You know, I mean, it's like a, it's an awakening. What I said, like, you know, there's this documentary. Then, like, couple years, couple months ago, we had the on the record, um, where that was mm-hmm. something where people, you know, brought up allegations from the past, and it it, it kind of gave them the platform for you to listen because it's at the point where it's like 
you know, you probably can't do anything legally to these people, but you can say like, all right, like this person did this to me. And, you know, that's probably why you shouldn't work for this work with or for this person anymore. And as you've seen, like Russell Simmons, are people doing stuff with Russell Simmons now anymore? No. And it's like, you can't really take anything away from them at this point because Russell Simmons already got all his money. Nobody could take his money away. Woody Allen has all his money. Nobody could take that away. Woody Allen has his filmography. Russell Simmons has his discography. All of this stuff, nobody could take that stuff away. It's just what do you do going forward? And that's why I say from the public, it's celebrate them less. Hmm. stop deifying them because you know what you you talk about like you know the, we, we talked about like the film festival and like using them as like film study and stuff like that while these yeah. people are still around this is the way that now when everybody comes out and it's just like all right now i'm not afraid to talk anymore i could speak about that person right these people come yeah. out and they say these things now and since they're so deified and they're so um the icons now and you keep celebrating them now it's like whoa like mm. it's yeah, like you, you know it's like i don't believe that person because yeah. how how dare you speak ill of like woody allen and you know the people we talk about like bill cosby and r kelly you know it's easier now because it's like, when's the last time Bill Cosby, before he went to jail, when's the last time he had something, he put out some kind of work that was relevant? R. Kelly, when was the last time he put out some kind of work that was relevant? Yeah, that, that's a good point. That This is something I had, like, post notes over. Okay, so they brought up, um, this, is, this is actually refuting what I said, like, of watching a work and then separating the artist from the man. Okay, so they were... Um, kind of saying pushing a hypothesis you know just like saying um his works were um you know normalizing eventually you know of what he was accused of you know normalizing his behavior through through art and through medium um you know uh there's the whole thing in Manhattan where he's like hanging out with his friend. He's like, well, she's 17. And he's like, well, why don't you go? And he's like, well, she's 17. Like normalizing it. And then it gradually, you know, that's what they were, they pushed that in uh, one of the episodes. And I agree. It was like how he felt, put it in art, in a, in a picture, and everyone loves it. So then next time you see it, uh, it seems normal. You know, so let's say like there's like a whole thing where like there's like oh guys who are in green you know shirts or into podcasting and then then you know something like that and then then it's like normal and then like something else happened and like there's two people like us doing the same exact thing and we say something crazy and then it keeps going 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 you know normalizing yeah and you 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 Still hit hard. it yeah. you you hit it right there like when in in Manhattan where it has him playing him you know playing the character that's involved with the 17 year old girl and this movie becomes like 
you know, because I, 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 as a cinephile that, mm-hmm. you know, we both are, yeah. I never watched the movie, but the shots that they showed in the documentary, I was like, wow, this is shot real nice. Like, all biases aside, I'm like, you know, this, this actually looks nice. I could appreciate that. So when you're watching this this movie and he's him, obviously, is Woody Allen, but he's playing a character, but it's it's visually him. And he's with a girl who's 17 years old. And like you said, the whole movie. It and based like, on someone real, right? Exactly. But it wasn't known. That wasn't known at the time. Exactly. I don't know. I, don't know. I agree. I'm but. Just in. You know, it normalized it throughout the movie where you're, you're not even looking at it. It gets to the point that it's like, it's not even weird that this man in his 40s is having a relationship with a girl who's like, you know less than like more than half his yeah. age and it's not to... even like not even really an adult so that when he grows you know when years go on like 14 years after the fact he starts this relationship with this girl that's like in her 20s and now he's in his like late 50s to early 60s people are looking at it, it's like oh that's just Woody Allen he likes young girls you know yeah, it's shocking. Now that I'm like, you know, I'm actually thinking about it, which is important. I know people are like, people are so sensitive now. No, it's called about fucking re- re- reflecting on your life. Because I look back at when I was like 18, like 20, I'm like, oh my God. But listen to this. So I watched that movie, Manhattan. I loved it. I always said it was one of my favorite movies of his. And guess what? Guess how old I was when I was watching it? Like 14, 15. Mm-hmm. Didn't make sense. I didn't realize. I was like, yeah, 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 I in my head, if I was like a twenty-year-old man, or you know, thirty-something-ish that I am now, um, I related to Woody Allen. Now I really, I would relate to the the girl. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm like, get the fuck away from him. When I was, I was like, like people... a twelve-year-old. Yeah, when I was twelve-year-old, he is... he goes, he looks at the camera. I'm like, this fucking genius. He's he's fun. I like this guy. Yeah, and it's like it's crazy. Like people our age back then was probably looking at it like, oh wow, like you know, because we're we're in our thirties now. It's like, oh wow, I wish I could date like a seventeen year old girl. Oh, like, oh man, while they're young and fresh and da 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 da. Like, because it wasn't like it wasn't even not much long ago. I remember when I was like in my teenage years, and people used to be like counting down like when like the Olsen twins turned eighteen. Yeah, when Britney was, Spears turned 18, like, it, yeah. it was that type of, type of culture, and it was kind of like... four. Yeah, it was kind of like, laughed at. But now, in mm. this era where we're realizing, um, you know, a lot of these guys are, like, predatory. Um, and, and changes, uh, you have to bring it up, because, again, like you just said, we grew up on it, yeah. you know? Yeah, and it's, it's no, like... No matter what. I mean you are an intelligent gentleman, but there's a lot of people who thought it, that girl, you know, girls gone wild was the way it goes. But we just saw it as like a kind of like, okay, and it, you know, it ain't it ain't like the Middle Ages anymore, where like, you know, you trade like your favorite cow for like your neighbor's like twelve year old daughter anymore. Like, come on, like this is twenty twenty one, and even then it was like this is nineteen ninety two. Like, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, stay making man. 
Yeah, well, you know, um, Mia Farrow and Dylan Farrow, what's your, 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 your final, like, conclusion on them? You know, Mia Farrow, uh, growing up, because I heard about this, I mean, you know, I'm 30, couple, you know, a couple years after 30 and 32. Um, I grew up on this whole thing, and it was always, like, one-sided. It was always about, it was, like, Mia Farrow was here and it was always about Woody was like, he was in control of like the narrative. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously she. Yeah, like what, he went out and had, what he went out and had a whole pe- press conference at the Plaza Hotel, like when the, yeah. the shit came out. All so right, it was clear it he wanted you to have, he wanted to be in front of the, 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 he, the headlines had to be put out a certain kind of way. Oh yeah, another thing we didn't even mention. You brought it up. I, I didn't have it in my notes that like his publicist, his publicist told people like if they reported on his allegations, like he his publicist wouldn't allow their um wouldn't allow their newspaper or their website or their whatever to sit in on the press conference if oh, they reported on Woody Allen. So he definitely oh, had a way about it. Yeah. He tried you said, to you said webs- the, the narratives. You say website. Just because it's natural, but it was 1992. That's the point. No, I'm talking about in 2014. Oh, I think it was 1992 thing. No, I'm talking about in 2014 when she did oh. the editorial. His his publicist now, and she 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 basically it was part it was in part four. Oh, I forgot right. to put down in my notes that he she said if any newspaper reported on Dylan Farrow's or Ronan Farrow's um allegations against Woody Allen and brought it up that they wouldn't be allowed in any of the press conferences for his movie. Not only that, but any other, and she, this is what they said, that she's, um, she represents a whole bunch of other high profile people. So she said, basically like, you won't be allowed to Woody Allen stuff. You wouldn't be allowed to any of my other clients stuff. So she was basically um, trying to like kill, kill the story in its infancy mm-hmm. by um, you know, again, it, it's him trying to dictate the narrative. If you, the one right. theme throughout the four parts of the episode was like Woody Allen had to control, was very controlling of how it was reported and how the light was shined on him and how the light was shined on Dylan and how the light was shined on Mia. And that's why it was very important. The first episode when, uh, Oh man, I should know his name. Um, I want to give, Oh, moon moon. I'll give respect to his name. Uh, Moses, Moses. They show the whole thing with him, like doing the impression of, uh, yeah, she, yeah, she, but they're filming. It's like a cute thing. Maybe, yeah, I have like video of my dad like saying, like, you know, like, hey, what's up, whatever. But it, like, the way it came out, like, Woody Allen was like, he went louder. Like, he was directing him. It was very dim, very dim human, you know, like, whatever. So we talked, you talked about the 2014 uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. So, all right. So I was talking about 1992 when he came out with, um, he did a whole press conference when it came out. And he came out there and he was like doing his whole, he did this whole like, 
he did his whole like gimmick. He was like, as a wrestling fan, he was like, you know, I don't like media. <clears throat> and there was people in the crowd laughing, like ah, on his side. And he was like, well, the allegations or whatever. But like right away, you saw that he was favored by the media. They, mm-hmm. they loved him and stuff because he was fodder. He was fodder. And then you change it to this. And Mia Farrow never had. What movie did you see Mia Farrow in? You know. Yeah, she talked about that. Like she was blackballed. And that's why now she works with charities and stuff. I, as a matter of fact, one of the movies we watched, um, we talked about a little bit, Be Kind Rewind. That was one of the last like American movies that she did. Or one oh, of the yeah, few she, times she got a role. I, I totally forgot she was in there. I think she was the mom. Too. She was like Jack Black's mom, but like she was basically blackballed. Um, I think everyone needs to who, who had an experience with. Doesn't matter Hollywood. Hollywood is has always been a embellishment of reality. But if I go like, oh, I say like, oh, uh, someone you know like, came on to me or grabbed my ass or like, things like the, you know like that. That happens in the fucking dealership. That happens in the fucking Burger King. You know what I mean? So, like, we are going to use celebrities because we respect, we idolize them. Um, just remember that it also happens, like, down the street. It happens at the, the deli. Homes. Um, human That's nature. That's good to see Homes. Oh, yeah. Man, human nature. So, Woody Allen, pretty much 15 years ago, I gave up on him. In conclusion, you know, as you see, we talked a lot about this. It's a four-part series. It's on HBO Max. If you got HBO Max, um, each episode is like 40 minutes to an hour. Um, it's very informative, very like heartfelt. Like I, I like I really walked out of this and I I, I knew very little about Mia Farrow Farrow. Other than you know this regular stuff, but I really came out of it. I was like, this is really like a a, a very big-hearted woman, and people like took advantage of, of of that. And yeah, it's just sad to watch. Um, but check it out. Bachelor update. Uh, yeah. So this was the final week of the Bachelor, and our. Journey has come to an end. Mass journey has come to an end, but we were able to get the. We we're able on Monday to get the finale, and we we're able to get the after the final rose. Now, first of all, I'm gonna just preface this and say the finale wasn't overly eventful. Some kind of like brief sort of thing, and give my thoughts on that, and then. A lot more of um, the segment is going to be dedicated to the after the final rules because I got a ton of thoughts on it. So we saw the finale. Um, Michelle met Matt's mom and his brother, John. And John was asking like really like tough questions to the girls. Um, like he, he, um, he asked like what they saw him at, what they see, what was the future they see with his brother. Um, they asked about past relationships, stuff like that. John also said that, you know, this whole situation or this whole 
process is, is something he's never seen or like he's never seen his brother in because his brother's never really had any like long-term relationships or um never had no never had any like long committed relationships so to see him like doting over these women was something fresh and new for him so the first person i met with the fan with the um mass mom and john was michelle and john was just reading her body language a little bit and felt as if you know he he genuinely felt like you know, Matt had made the right decision in picking her to be one of the finalists. But at the same time, he felt like he would have to defer the final decision to his mom, uh, him and Matt's mom, because, you know, she, she would have the final say on whether or not, you know, these are the right women for their son and um, for her son and his brother. His mom, like, choked up when Michelle talked about her family because, you know, Michelle, like I said, you know, I, I thought personally, personally in the hometown episode, I thought like Michelle had like, the best um, family. It was definitely like the family, you know, I was talking to it with um, somebody on Twitter. I was saying like, that's the type of family I would love to have married into. So, you know, she talked about Michelle, she talked to his mom, Patty, about um, her family and, and how close they are and stuff like that. And her mom and his mom was actually kind of choked up because she felt she felt guilty that she wasn't able to provide that same type of environment for Matt. And she acknowledged that Matt um, overcame a lot and she was really like proud of the man he became and the type of things he accomplished in his life. And then next up was, of course, Rachel. Um, and before I like, I felt kind of, <laughs> I was like, you know, if you look at like John, you know, he, 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 um, he had the braids, he had like the fronts, you know, the gold fronts on. I was like, yo, and, and how like he was really like, me, it felt like he was kind of like staring into like Michelle's soul when they met. I was like, yo, like, I feel like John would probably like sniff out the racism, but I was just a quick aside. I was just my, my, um, I was just my idea. So he chatted with her a little bit, asked her kind of like the same questions, and they kind of gave like the same answers. Like I said, it wasn't too much this episode. Um, something in the first episode which was one of the very few indicators that like Matt was like interested in Rachel was like they I guess both of them are very big into like the faith into faith and like Christianity so they kind of bonded off of that and that was like in like either the first or the second episode this was before everything with Rachel came out and um she she really like she said she, she she said that she became like interested in him after like he kind of like prayed over the first like role ceremony or the first um cocktail party or whatever that they had in the first episode and she said it was that moment that she was like really really attracted to him and Matt 
racist concerns with his family. And he just said, you know, like he really viewed both of these women as his possible wife. And his mom kind of hit him with like the reality, you know, hit him with like a reality check. Uh, his mom said that people fall in and out of love. So it's not really like the be all end all. And basically that love on its own won't carry them through an engagement and through marriage, you know, different things could happen. Boy, did she know. And it kind of felt like he 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 walked into um, meeting with his mom and his brother feeling like he would get some kind of like assurance as to who, which way to go. Um, and I was making the right choices. But he actually, you know, that assurance was actually replaced with doubt because of what his mom said. And I don't think it was like anything like malicious. I think they were just like being honest because, you know, that's, that's your family. They're always going to have your best interests at heart. So I felt like they were just being honest with him. Uh, my Chris discussed their uncertainties. It, was our, you know, this episode was actually the last appearance you'll see of Chris Harrison for a while. Um, but they discussed the uncertainty, uncertainties. He discusses uncertainties with Chris and um, Chris kind of like talked them off the ledge a little bit. And him and Michelle, like, as part of their date, like, they rappelled down the side of the um, resort that they were staying in out there in Pennsylvania which is like entirely scary. And Matt almost like busts his eyes trying to help Michelle down. <laughs> and then they finally had their date and Michelle gave him um, these matching like basketball jerseys. His said Mr. James, hers said Mrs. James. And she said their team name would be the World Changing Warriors. And then Matt started to express his doubts um, but a quick side note, like, you know, he's tall as hell, like, she's tall as hell, she's a former basketball player, I believe he played basketball too, and I'm like, wow, like, like, yo, they would have some tall-ass babies if he had chose her, um, but eventually he did send Michelle home, uh, he, I was, like, confused as hell over the whole conversation, because I was kind of, like, back and forth, like, not really paying attention, because, to be honest with you, like, you kind of already knew, like, he was leaning towards Rachel. Um, all in indications were, so I wasn't really, like, paying that no mind. I was really, like, interested in the after the final rose. But, yeah, I was I was kind of confused because I was like, did he just say that, like, he didn't know yet or whatever, whatever. And then I just saw her crying. Then the next day, um, Matt and Rachel's date was canceled because Matt was still kind of emotional over um breaking things off with Michelle. <laughs> Out of the other side note, I was like, you know, I was while watching this, I'm like, this is just boring. Um it was like an entire like two hours of this. And I just was like kind of checking out. And this is something like I'm, a point I've been bringing up over like the past couple of weeks. I still don't understand how or why he came down to Rachel. Like, you know, the only explanation is, like, a whole bunch of sappy, like, jibber-jabber, like. So, it's definitely got to be something that only, like, those two could explain. Maybe it's something 
that wasn't like translated to the audience. Um, or he had way deeper and way meaningful conversations with Bree, who was the third place finisher, and also Michelle. I thought he had way deeper conversations with a lot of the girls in the house. Matter of fact, like the only deep ass conversation I think they had was like that first episode where they discussed their fate. So perhaps that was more important than perhaps that was more important than um you know the things you know a lot of us find important. But he gave Rachel the final rose, but he chose not to propose uh, based off of um what was you know, discussed with his mom, it, it, it left a lot of doubt. He just wanted to be certain that, um, was to, you know, him and her were going to spend the rest of their life together before he proposed to her. He chose a ring and everything, but um, he just felt that it wasn't the right time, but he stated that he didn't want her out of his life. Uh, out of all the women... Out of all these women, and there were though this was my this was my final thought on on the on the finale. I was like, out of all of these women, and I'm thinking back to all 32 of them, there were some great and there were some great and very interesting women, and like he still chose her. Like he, I, I'm, I, I was still confused as to how he came to that conclusion which is important for the next part when we discuss after the final rose. So immediately after the finale, they aired after the final rose. As we said before, Chris Harrison, due to his comments defending um, Rachel, um, defending her for her racist, um, for defending her for her racially insensitive. Yes. He would not be um, a part of this, and they chose the author of Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, Emmanuel Asho, who's a former NFL player, and now um, has has a YouTube series called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, where it discusses different type of um, topics pertaining to race and society and stuff like that. So the first person brought out was Michelle. And Michelle discussed that she felt he was the one after meeting her family. Um, you know, as a viewer, I, I, I could totally understand why she felt so. And she was totally like blindsided by him not choosing her. And she didn't think she got the closure from Matt at that moment. She said that she didn't really get to say her piece and Matt refused to give her two minutes. And she said that she didn't intend on like changing his mind. She just wanted to, she, she just wanted more understanding and kind of like tell him where she was coming from and they would leave with some kind of understanding. Much in the same way, like when Bree left, she, she didn't want to leave, you know, um, mad at him. She didn't want to leave upset. She was just sad that things didn't end with them together. And I think that's kind of what um, Michelle was hoping would happen. And I guess, like, he refused to talk to her. Um, 
he refused to talk to her like immediately after the after telling her like he, he wasn't gonna choose her. And then she was asked um she was asked about the controversy with Rachel. And she said she felt hurt by the controversy. She felt hurt by the controversy. And it came from a place of not knowing history and not knowing that people will be hurt by um, her behavior. And she said that Rachel had a good heart, but it required learning. And it felt that, you know, it kind of came off as inconsiderate. And then she talked about Chris Harrison felt he added weight to an already difficult situation. And that covers everything from, you know, first black bachelor, girls, um, racially insensitive past, catching up to her, um, talking down to black women and Rachel Lindsay on extra, um, all of these things. So it felt like it added to, to the whole situation. And she just thought she was, she felt exhausted by it. And another side note, Michelle, in, in my opinion, shouldn't even feel bad. Matt embarrassed himself by picking a racist white woman over her. And the consensus from everyone that I've seen is that she was obviously like the better choice, myself included. And again, she said, in explaining what she would have said in those two minutes, she said she was like, you know, really like down bad about the, the whole thing. Like she was crying, she was bawling, she she was sitting on the floor crying. Um, producers saw her crying, it was just like a odd scene. I said, you know, she wasn't really trying to change his mind, she was trying to get some closure. So then Matt came out and then Matt, of course, apologized. And he told her that he admired her strength in dealing with all of this. And Michelle said she still cared for him. And, you know, her thoughts about, you know, how he should deal with everything going forward. And, of course, she made a joke um, that hopefully in the future he'd get rid of the open-eyed kissing. Uh, Another side note, uh, I feel like it would have been, it would be easier to be sympathetic to Matt if I understood why he chose Rachel over all these other women. You know, if it was another, you know, white contestant or non-black contestant that came out with this this racist stuff, anti-black or um, racially insensitive stuff, you know, it was a lot more interesting women, a lot more attractive women, a lot more women that were easier to, like, relate to. But, like, with Rachel, it was like, I was, you know, you kind of, like, she's just her. So it's like, you didn't really have like an opinion on her. Like I personally didn't really have an opinion on her. So when this stuff came out, I was just like, oh, all right, well, I don't like her now. You know, where I was before, I wasn't really like leaning any way. But if it was somebody like, you know, Katie, who, you know, anybody who's been watching the series knows I'm like infatuated with, if it was her, like I would have been down bad because I would have been like, man, she's a fool. I can't believe she did this, blah, 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 blah. But I didn't know about Rachel so it, it really came out of left field and it kind of like made up my mind on her and another like thing I kind of noticed on on a quick side note Emmanuel actually kept on having to say that he was filling in for Chris Harrison 
uh, I don't know if it was just to be like polite to say like, oh, I'm not taking over for him, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, just, you know, this particular special, I'm going to be filling his role or it was being stressed that Harrison isn't gone temporarily, which is important because a lot of the people have said on this special and had said, um, you know, contestants, past contestants, past bachelors, past bachelorettes that have said, like, you know, it's, it's far too soon. Like, you can't, like, somebody really couldn't have turned over a leaf this amount of time. Like, it's going to take time. And if it's going to be a genuine reconciliation, you know, he's going to have to take the time and put in the work and um, come out of this whole thing a, a far different person. Uh, so I, I just thought it was interesting, and I, it, it's it's important because just the other day, we found out that Chris Harrison actually hired like some kind of like power media attorney. So it could be a situation where if he's forced to leave the Bachelor franchise, like he's gonna make sure like he cleans up monetarily. So it'd be interesting. We'll be monitoring that and discussing that in future episodes as it comes up. All right, and uh, Matt and Emmanuel talked to each other, black man to black man, and the discussion was about, you know, the pressures Matt felt about being the first black bachelor. And Matt said, like, you know, he felt the weight of society and he felt the weight of the franchise being the first anything, you know. It's, 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 just, it's a true thing. And one of the things that was, like, discussed was just, you know, when you're a black man and you're in this, like, white-dominated society, it's like you try to be on, like, your best behavior and try to be the black, be, you try to be, like, the best black man that, or the best representation of black men as you can be. Talked about making people comfortable with your blackness. Um, I have to mention, like, Patrice O'Neill, that was one of the stories that had, um, you know, we, we talked about Patrice O'Neill on the show a couple of weeks ago where one of the bits of um, Patricia, Patrice O'Neill did was where he talked about, like, he, you know, he's like this big black guy and he'd be walking and walk past, like, a little white lady and the little white lady would, like, clutch her purse, you know, because she's inherently afraid of, like, this big black guy, but at the same time, like, Patrice O'Neill is sitting there, it, you know, he's walking by and he's in his head terrified as a little white lady because he's like, oh my God, I hope nothing happens to this white lady. Like, I hope she won't get killed. I hope she won't get raped. I hope nothing bad happens to this lady. God, please let this white woman get home safely because, you know, he, you know, in his head, he's like, wow, well, I'll be like, if something happens to this woman, I'll be like the main suspect. And it's serious, and I've talked about it a lot on the show, where as a black man, like, I really, you know, sometimes I'll be walking across, the, I'll walk on the street, and I'll be kind of, like, afraid, you know, you're kind of afraid, you know, that's, that's the worry, that the world already, like, sees you as a threat, or menacing, or you're often no good, and stuff like that, and then you, you kind of, um, you're between like a rock and a hard place by just 
you know, people already fear you for being you. People don't understand you for being you. And there's already always like the stereotype, stereotype and like this prejudice against us that we have to, um, you know, keep defending ourselves against. So it was a conversation, obviously, that's never taken place on one of these after the final rose until today or until this episode. And again, like he answered, he was he was asked by Emmanuel, you know, what attracted him to Rachel. You know, still like that sappy, like, you know, Hallmark jibber jabber. And when asked about, you know, what happened, you know, what what was it like when the stuff first came out, you know, because obviously he was still with Rachel. And uh, he dismissed it as rumors at first because, you know, he was like, all right, you know, maybe people are just, you know, making this stuff up to get to her. And you don't want to be like reactionary if you still have feelings for this person. And he said he hoped that it weren't, you know, he hoped that the rumors weren't true. And now that, it, you know, it, it was like those are pictures distinctly of her in a Southern Belle dress and a antebellum plantation party. Uh, it made him question everything. Cause it, it, it made you, it made him question the person he fell in love with. And he felt as a Southerner because of course, I believe he grew up in North or Southern Carolina. So he grew up in North or South Carolina that it brought him back to events, people, and places where he didn't belong or he wasn't allowed and stuff like he didn't want to think about you know I talk about that all the time here in New York where you know it's probably just as racist as these places or people are just as racist as these places but kept under wraps a lot better than those places whereas there's certain places in the south if you grew up you just know like all right that town I know it's like 90% white and they don't like people of my kind so I know I don't have to go there so I totally understood where he was coming from especially when you're talking about um plantations and southern pride and like you know she liked a picture with the confederate flag in it and that was one of the symbols that's one of the symbols anywhere because I've talked about like in you know, driving in Pennsylvania, I'd see Confederate flags, and I just know, or also in upstate New York, I was seeing Confederate flags, and I just know, like, okay, especially here in the north, you know, those are places I probably shouldn't, you know, as a black man be, um, uh, you know, I probably won't be safe in. And it was then he kind of realized that Rachel couldn't understand what it meant to be a black man in America. And I was one of my first uh, thoughts when this stuff came out. Cause I'm like, you know, you go on the show, you're trying to find your wife, you're trying to find somebody you're gonna spend the rest of your life with. And you're talking about somebody that you're going to have children with. And I've seen, you know, and a lot of women who've had, um, who've had children with people of a different race, well, especially in this 
segment, white and black, where, you know, it's a white woman that shot a child with a black man. You know, I've seen a lot of people take pride in that and, you know, raise their kids just as much, you know, raise their kids with the understanding of the understanding and appreciation of being black in America. But at the same time, I'm seeing a lot of um, white women who have black kids, uh, you know, they're upset because their their children's hair isn't like straight or if like they left their children with their black fathers that you know their kids come back with like black hairstyles you know they're upset at that and it's just like yo you had a child with a black man like they you know they gotta embrace like their african-american heritage so i think that's something that like dawned on matt who's just like you know if i have kids like does she appreciate the society that we live in where black people in general are you know discriminated and and go through injustices every day like is she going to be understanding of that because if you took these pictures in 2018 it, it's kind of bewildering or it's kind of far-fetched that those feelings would just go go away by 2020 he admitted that they're no longer together he um him and her separated broke up and said that the fact that the stuff wasn't understood by her to be problematic in 28 indicates that she wouldn't fully understand him in 2021 um and he was asked by Emmanuel he was saying you know like people would say like you know are you really holding something from three years ago against her you know because some people would say like three years ago is a long time ago and Matt I, I thought it was a really really beautiful and a very very strong answer when he said well you know what I would say to those people you know what else was you know what was a long time ago plantations and slavery and the confederacy so if people can't let that go why should I let something from three years ago go and Matt left and they brought Rachel out they showed Rachel the photos and he asked what he saw in those what he asked her what she saw in those pictures and she said she saw someone who was ignorant because she never asked her asked herself who would offend and what it celebrated and when he was asked like how did she you know what would she blame for her having that ignorance you know, it was a roundabout, she roundabout suggested that it was because where she grew up, but did insist that it didn't make it, it doesn't make it okay. Um, that I had a problem with because, you know, in order to accept Rachel's apology and accept that she's changed, I, I would have to understand her. And I feel like she didn't really admit to it. Like if you grew up in an area and it was accepted to just be racially biased or racially discriminatory or just plain ignorant to um, what these things stood for, then obviously there's a lot of children younger than her. There are people older than her that are coming out of our community that have that same style of thinking. So what are you doing to change that? 
Like, if I was, re- you know, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, re- Rachel, are you going into that community? And perhaps your whole life, you never interacted with the Black community in your community or closest Black community. Are you reaching out to that community to kind of learn about them and learn about your um, similarities and things that make you similar? Because your whole life, you were learning ways that you were different. So I didn't get that stuff. And I was like, you know, for us to be understanding that she's a changed person, you know, I'd have to understand how she came to be that person in the first place. I didn't get that after the final rose or from her comments and her apology and um, her responses in this episode. And I thought like her reasoning for it, not, I thought her reasoning for not getting in front of it, you know, that's something me and Mike, that's something me and Mike talked about where it was like, you know, why didn't you get in front of this? Like you knew this stuff was, you you knew you did this stuff. So it's like, why didn't you, you, you knew you did this stuff and you knew you were going to be on a bachelor and you knew this was obviously the first black bachelor. Why don't you try to like get in front of this stuff? And she said she didn't think like the photos would come back on her, and that, which is another reason. It was just like, I was another indication that like she really didn't change from 2018 to 2020 because let's be honest with you let's be honest the whole year 2020 was a wash so basically all the events from then up until now because it's a pandemic like basically it's just been 2019 and a half <laughs> that's all 2020 and all 2021 so it's basically been a year if these stuff happened in 2018 like a year and a half it's the stuff happened in 2018 um i shouldn't think about it so that, that shows me like while she was on the show she was ignorant to it and I, you know I, would, I just wasn't buying it and she did acknowledge that for him to end things, she must have really hurt him by um, the stuff that happened. And Matt was brought back out, and you can see he was visibly hurt. There was a time where he was asked a question, and he took um, like almost a, like half a minute to respond. And when asked what hurt him most, he said it was explaining to her why she was wrong because it meant that she didn't understand what it meant to be a black man in America, which is crucial, which is what I said, they're, because their kids will be black as well. Um, and like I said, it's something that was the first when all this controversy came out and it was, you know, put out there, like she was this front runner. Like that was one of my first like actions. I was just like, you know, like how do you raise children with a woman with this kind of as a black man and when I asked if like the door was closed on his relationship with Rachel he said she had to do the work on her own and he didn't really want to embrace like he was holding her hand and then he let go of it and part of her um past that we brought up on a show, and I thought it would have been brought up in the special, but they didn't never talked about her bullying other girls 
um, other white girls for dating black guys or being interested in black guys. Like that part wasn't brought up. And I thought it was an interesting question because like what, what made you change your mind? Like, you know, how do you go from teasing somebody? How do you go from teasing somebody for liking black guys to being on a show where the prize is to become betrothed to a black man? Um, I just very the best analogy I could think of is like you guys, you know, anybody listen to the show, you know, I don't like LeBron James. So it would be as if like all these years I'm, you know, talking shit about LeBron James on social media. And then all of a sudden I'm like on the show or the, the, the you know, finalist or biggest LeBron fan ever. You'd be like, what, what the hell changed? So I, I thought it was interesting that that you know, the fact that she was bullying girls or at least um, being critical of other girls um, who were white or like in black men, how she moved from that. And then Emmanuel Astro said that you're not racist. He didn't think that you're, you are racist because you've done something racially insensitive. I totally disagree with that. I think you are because you were benefited with ignorance because you grew up in a racist um, or you were benefited with ignorance because you grew up in a racist community and you chose not to understand people whom you have not met. And that's why I say it's you're, you're racist now that stuff could be undone if you leave your community you reach out again like i say to whatever african immune african-american community is close to where you live because like i said if y'all both grew up in this area of georgia then clearly you guys would have far more similarities than you have differences so do i think she do I think she's race? She's she. Do I think she's racist? Possibly, because you you live in a world where things you do you see no wrong in because you've been conditioned out, and whether it be voluntary or involuntary, but it is up to you to make that change. Like there's been people who've been former neo Nazis. There's been former Klansmen, been former, all kind of racist things that have, you know, shed that, um, I've shed that reputation. And I think the, the, the first part is people, you know, a lot of people get more offended by being called a racist than looking back on their actions that made it so that they could be called racist. And I really would have loved, because it was one of the things I, I was curious in watching um, this special, as well as watching the last few weeks, especially when it was kind of like clear, um, kind of like telegraphed that like he was leaning towards racial. You know, I was really curious to find out, like, I was really like curious to hear from the African-American or the non-white um, 
contestants on the show. And uh, I'll even include, like, you know, the white contestants because, you know, that's also the other thing. I was like, damn, bro, like, you know, you could have picked, a, you know, you could have picked a white girl, but, like, why did you have to pick, like, the racist one? Because not everybody's, like, a racist. And I would have liked to hear their thoughts. Be like, you know, because for me personally, like, if I was on a, if I was, like, a contestant on a season of The Bachelorette and The Bachelorette was black, and I've been eliminated, and she eventually chose, like, a white guy, and he was, you know, it came out, like, he had a racist past, or, like, racist social media posts, or somebody came out from high school and said, like, he was bullying them because they were black, you know, I would, I would feel personally insulted, because I'd be like, whoa, like, this, this lady really picked, like, a racist ass white guy over my black eyes. So I, 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 I'm interested to see if any of the women on the show was like had that same kind of feeling. Like this guy really like chose this like racist white girl over me. Um, so that would have been an interesting watch. And the only person I got to speak on it was Michelle. And like one of my criticism about this whole special was one of my criticism was that. I felt like he asked tougher questions to Michelle. I thought, like, the questions he was asking Rachel, especially in this climate and amidst the controversies surrounding that series, is, um, I thought it was really, I thought it was really weak. I thought they were very, like, softball or, like, um, you know, very, like, soft toss questions that, you know, she, she was easy to escape. Like, I, I thought, like, he, he could have asked, like, better follow-up questions and really, like, trust her. Like, why like why did you think this was okay? Especially the part when she said, like, I didn't think, you know, like, did you, you know, he asked her, did you go to sleep thinking this would come back on you one day? And she said, no, like, I really didn't. And it's like, he, he didn't ask why. I would say, why? Like, in, I'd say, like, you know, in 2020, you really think that's something you did two years ago. Like, you, you didn't think this would be brought up, especially after stuff that happened in the summer of 2020. So, I, I, I was very critical of, like, Emmanuel Ash as the host of this. I, I was excited to see it because the, the, the thing I came away with from it thinking I was like no wonder he's the host of uncomfortable conversations with a black man because you know any conversation you know dealing with race is going to be uncomfortable so I don't think I don't think it helps to have like you know safe negro during those um, conversations like no I'm not saying like you know, Rachel should have been interviewed by Louis Farrakhan, but, you know, I think it would have been, you know, better to have, like, a guy I was going to ask, like, hard-hitting-ass question. I think, like, on a name out, out there, like, you put, like, Charlemagne or, like, you know, perhaps, like, Nick Cannon or something like, somebody like that on our show, like, you know, they're, they're going to, like, ask her some tough-ass questions. But... To the future of the Bachelor franchise, we learned that Tasia and I think 
Caitlin both former bachelorettes would be hosting the next season of the bachelorette and not Chris Harrison. And they announced that the, who they chose for the next season of bachelorette came down to Michelle and Katie. And to our surprise, they chose both. And it was a bit confusing because they didn't know if it was going to be a season where they would have two bachelorettes, but it was announced that it would be Katie as the bachelorette for season 17 and will be Michelle for season 18. And I will definitely be watching Michelle's season because I'm really interested and I thought she was like an awesome girl. So I'd love to see her find her one because I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for her. I'm not, wasn't not, but she, she has a beautiful family and she's a beautiful person. So I'm excited to see that. Katie, I'm gonna have to like mentally prepare myself for because you know I love me some Katie. I wish I could be on it, but I don't think I could hit the gym and get my sexy on in time. This has been the season of Bachelor, and next week we'll kind of wrap things up and just talk about the whole experience of watching this for a season of Bachelor. So look for that. All right, final thoughts. Okay, my final thoughts for the episode. So we discussed the Allen versus Pharaoh four-part documentary series. Um, first, I'm going to talk about our podcast in general. Uh, so we started in summer 2020. And to me, it feels like every episode or every other episode, or at least one segment, kind of deals with uh, cancel culture, which is like we hear it like almost every day. And this documentary is important because if you go back to May 2016, Ronan Farrow, uh, the son of Mia and Woody, um, wrote an article for Hollywood Reporter, and it was about Dylan Farrow, which is like you know one of the focus points of the documentary. And um, it's regarded as he's regarded as kind of like the first voices that pushed the hashtag Me Too movement. Uh, you know, it you know it was around like um the trump era beginning of that almost um so uh one of the main things was uh what he that what he wrote was my father woody allen and the danger of questions unasked that's important because i want to talk about how this isn't a new thing uh every generation slowly things evolve um of course, there's always detractors, but the people that were looking forward and more progressive, it took a generation, though. Uh, like, even if you look at that, me and Joe grew up in uh, the 90s and 2000s, I've been watching a lot of stuff from that era, and I'm surprised it's like way different and very unacceptable. Like, we wouldn't deal with it now. And um, so, like, um, you know, way in the past, you had like books in newspapers you would have, then you had like plays um then you had films and, t- and tv that introduced like even in the 70s like now looking back as a very campy and stuff but you had like shows in the 70s that, like you know all in the family and like um you know all those shows even you know like welcome back Cotter dealt with uh ethnic minorities like white and then you had like the jeffersons uh and that you know then we had music uh people you know through mtv saw new people through through cable uh, then like the uh, millennials and the Zoomers, it's like uh, YouTube. Um, they you know they 
that's sort of like influence from like different cultures. Um, but also you have social media now. And the difference between that is the immediacy. Uh, overnight things could happen. Even the same day things could happen with the, the whole like cancer culture thing. And the detractors, they were always there in the past. But the difference is now it's not generational. It's like overnight. So that like suddenness like frightens them so they the backlash is very very strong and both sides are very very vocal um so that's important um to know because but the clash that's happening is because it's like so sudden uh which is like new you know the internet's crazy it's a 10 years ago it like sparked like revolutions around the world and this is more of a social uh situation in, in america in our you know our society and there's always an argument about this with the cancel culture is like how do you can you separate the art from like the the individual uh for me woody allen is the exception because i grew up and i would always hear um oh the new woody allen movie so like he's an auteur everything he released had like his uh authentic authenticity in it uh and then especially in the documentary they mentioned how manhattan mirrored par parallel with an actual relationship he had with an underage girl and going back i i was in my teens like i was younger than 18 and i love that movie because maybe i like saw myself in him but now as like a 30 plus year old man um i i see it in a totally different way um so it's a like hard to separate because like he put himself so much in like the art. Um, so I think that's, that's like, you know, was, you can't say like, Oh, it was satire or whatever. Cause like, he kind of like had, his whole thing was like, it was like him. It was like pretty much uh, a fictional version of himself. So you can actually use his films as like kind of uh, who he actually is as a person and vicariously like he lived through his films. Yeah, so uh, I'm glad we watched the documentary. Uh, I know it came out uh, in the four point series. When it first started, uh, I was kind of like, I, I I was hesitant to watch it, uh, but I'm glad we discussed it on the show. We also talked about uh, me and Chuck had a conversation about just what's going on in the week. Uh, we talked about the stop agent hate. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you know uh, communities and. Like they're gonna feel this and they're gonna come together, but then there's also gonna be other communities are gonna help them out. And there's always gonna be a backlash from uh, people that are afraid of change, which is always the case in uh, our society over the last 200 plus years. Um, yeah, so that's my final thoughts for the episode. And uh, Shug, I'm gonna throw it to you. So on uh, Farrell B. Allen, you know, always, I wasn't really like a big fan of Woody Allen. Um, his films never really um, captured my attention as other, you know, very, very admired directors had and other filmmakers had. Um, and as I just found it, I, I just found it interesting and in watching that the differences and how, um, things were covered back then as opposed to how they're covered now 
um, where like Mia Farrow was basically like a woman scorned and Dylan Farrow was basically this kid that was coached by her mom who was upset that her adopted daughter and her partner of more than a decade got together and basically left her in the dust. And back then it was basically like, oh, he left like the older model for the newer model. And then today it's like, with this new awakening we have with the the Me Too and Time's Up and people are actually like listening to um, victims of sexual harassment and victims of sexual predators and rape and all of these different things. Uh, I'm just glad that they had their time to say their piece. And, you know, I think respectfully people, even if you agree with them or disagree with them, you can at least be objective to say they really don't have anything to gain from Sully and Woody Allen's name. And, you know, Mike asked what, what's going to come of this. Like I said, I, I don't, I think people need to be celebrated a lot less than they were before now that we know the full spectrum of them. And I think a lot of people need to separate art and separate art from the artists now. And Mia Farrow, I think she's doing some great work with UNICEF and, you know, highlighting a lot of the dangerous um, things going on in the world where, you know, people who wouldn't have voices, you know, she's she's standing up for them and that's an admirable trait. And I think the other thing is the fact that she kept on adopting kids. So, it, you know, her sharing her love, it never stopped. And I think she, she was just a victim of having, you know, too big of a heart. And it goes with the age-old um, phrase no good deed goes unpunished. I think Dylan, I think the fact that she's living her life, she's married, she has a child of her own, and she's not letting the events um, that, you know, traumatize her for a whole, you know, her the earliest part of her life, you know, um, she's not a victim to Woody Allen anymore. If anything, she's a hero now because her voice helped other people speak out as well and another bachelor next week we're gonna wrap up the whole experience as you know two guys who never watched the bachelor before and this whole experience of this whirlwind of the bachelor franchise we're gonna talk about you know the experience of this season we're gonna talk about what they're gonna do going forward how they should how we think they should approach things going forward and all of that stuff. Um, and this has been episode 44 of Shug Me the Mooney. Shug Me the Mooney. Shug Me the Mooney. <laughs>